Support for the podcast is brought to you by XWorks. All right, we love XWorks here. I've been using them for a number of years. Uh, I've been using, they started with just pre-workout and have really stayed pretty grassroots and true to who they are by only making a select number of products that they do to the best of their ability. So they make sure that all the right ingredients are in there that only do what they want the product to do. No fillers, no additives, no garbage, no bullshit. Like you're not gonna see a ton of shit in there with the name like xylitol or like xanthan gum or other things you can't pronounce and I don't, I'm not smart enough to know what they are. Um, so check them out, xworks.com. They sell a number of products now that they've developed from the ground up. Uh, my favorites are their pre-workout, their Ignite. That's their flagship product that they started off with. Uh, they sell a grow product, which is their protein. That's another one of my staples. That protein has 100% whey protein isolate. It's from grass-fed cows. Um, no artificial sweeteners, no flavors, no coloring, uh, soy and gluten-free, duh. All kinds of information on each one of their products and how to best use them is on their website, xworks.com. And recently, they have just uh, relaunched a CBD cream rub, and they also have CBD droplets and pills as well. So I go to them for all of our supplements and have been trusting them for years. You guys should too. Check them out. They support us. Support them, xworks.com. All right, guys. Another one of our podcast sponsors is Soul Water. All right. These guys started this company. They're based in New, Jer New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey. Um, the guys are ex-military founders. Uh, they love CrossFit. They love working out. Uh, they love fitness and staying in shape. And naturally, they were using the, um, the Himalayan sea salt lemon water that we've talked about on the podcast before that I've been using for a number of years now. Uh, in the morning, you get up, you get a big, tall glass of water, squeeze a lemon, throw some salt in there. You get a great mixture that keeps you hydrated throughout the day and keeps you from cramping, which is one of the biggest things uh, for, for myself that I liked with it. Um, I've fallen off doing that just because of how hard it is to make that in the morning. It is time consuming, and these guys experienced that as well. So what they did is made it easy for you to get it on the go, in a can, Soul Water. If you guys check them out, their website is soulwatercompany.com. You guys can use code PARDONME for 10% off of uh, everything they've got on there. Obviously, they've got dope hats, as you can see on the video episode, duh. They've got the great water that keeps you hydrated, keeps you on the go, keeps you doing what you love to do and not having to worry about anything else. Um, the added benefit that these guys do is every... Every purchase that you guys make, they donate five cents to save Amazon rainforests, and they have all the info on their website if you guys want to check that out. That again, one more time, soulwatercompany.com. Use code pardon me, 10% off. Get you some. All right, guys. Another break from our sponsor, Grip Tight Tape. Uh, check them out at griptighttape.com. They make all the things you need for um, keeping your hands safe in your daily workout. So whether you work on an oil rig, whether you work on a farm, whether you work at pulling out splinters out of small children's hands at the hospital, whatever you do, whether you CrossFit, of course, or strength lift, power lift, whatever, um, they are make stretchy grip tape uh, for your thumb, your hook grip, your wrist, anything you guys need uh, to make those lifts more enjoyable get stronger and not have calluses and tears on your hands. So it's gonna protect your hands. Um, it's stretchy, it's sticky, we already went over that. And uh, you get 30 feet per roll. That's 10 feet longer than the next competitor. And their 
patented sticky and stretch formula utilizes a special weave pattern that gives you the amount of stretch you need for your joints to get in the right position without sacrificing any strength on that, all right? So it's the only brand I trust to get me through my workouts, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's weightlifting. Um, they also have, I know a lot of people are struggling to get gear during the, uh, the COVID times. They have weight vest plates and plate carriers, tactical plate carriers that you guys can use to work out, do body weight workouts, hit Murph. Um, use them to add to your home workouts or workouts at the gym if you've just been looking for a uh, vest. What else they got? They got merch, griptighttape.com. Use code PARDONME, 10% off anything you guys want. Tell them we sent you. All right, guys, welcome back. Here we are, another episode of Pardon Me, episode 69 coming at you. We have a special guest. They're all special. I feel like I say that for everybody, but they are. That's not a lie. Uh, we have today Carrie Duvall. He is a Army captain. He is a, let's see, U.S. Army infantry officer. He um, is the first amputee to ever go through Special Forces selection and uh, go all the way through the Q course up until the uh, Robin Sage drill at the end. Uh, he now is a CrossFit coach, yogi, and a prosthetic consultant. We have a mutual friend over at Brain Co. that uh, hooked us up. He uses and has been using their prosthetic, their hand, um, their robotic hand, and uh, helping them fine-tune that for multifunctional uses. And uh, he's a super cool guy. I was, I was um, you know, we got to chat. We chatted uh, for about an hour and a half, hour 45 on the podcast. Probably talked for another hour before and after the podcast. Great dude. Um awesome story. I'm super excited to show and share with you guys, you know, what he's been through his story. You know, maybe you guys can find some, some inspiration, some, uh, encouragement and, uh, just hear a cool story altogether. Um, also if any, anybody out there knows of any amputees or any people that are dealing with, um, with that, uh, we have a company called brain co they do, uh, amputee prosthetics and uh, they are always looking for people to work with to better what they do and to be able to create something, a functional uh, hand and arm that they can you know, help, help people. So they wanna help people. If you guys know of anybody or are somebody that has an ampu uh, or has a, uh, a limb missing or uh, you know, is an amputee and could benefit from that, reach out to us, let us know. Uh, the email is, you can reach out to us on the Instagram or the email is pardonmepod at gmail.com and we'll connect you with them. They're just looking for people to help and to uh, get the best thing out there that they can. Carrie's one of those people that they worked with and um, here he is. Here's his story. Without further ado, Captain Carrie Duvall. He was kind of saying that that you guys work through a fitting company mm -hmm. that does the the fitting of the the molding of that, and then they use their robotics on there, correct? Yeah. So um, all the robotic stuff is usually um, uh, that's that's all a different different kind of company, but the um, the sockets, yeah. So I'll, so I'll get fitted and placed by the same people, and uh, they they've got their own proprietary stuff that's bio designs and. Um, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a splint thing, you know. Funny enough, I I wouldn't have found these guys if it weren't for my first adaptive CrossFit coach, who was a dude out of Vienna, Virginia. 
Um, and, uh, like I, I'd been having problems with prosthetics while lifting because like they were only good for pushing. I couldn't do any pulling. I couldn't do any like lateral movements or anything. So it was like single plane shit. I could only do burpees and burpees and pushups. And, uh, it was, it was one of those like classic CrossFit gyms that's in a fucking shipping bay. Yeah. So like we're on the base floor and, uh, the guy's name is David Wallach, but he goes by chef cause he's a fucking chef and he's up on, <laughs> Clever. Like, he, he's up on the second level and, uh, he, he pops out of his fucking balcony office. He's like, Carrie, I was just reading about this splint prosthetic. That's for, uh, um, for like when you're having like water and volumetric changes. And I was like, well, shit, that sounds cool. And, uh, he shot me to the website and I called them immediately and I was like, Hey, I'm planning on going back to the infantry slash special forces. Like I need, I need you guys. And, uh, that we immediately got everything drawn up to actually awesome. fly out here on the army dime. What do you mean by, uh, by volume and, uh, water changes? Is that like, so if that, is that kind of what you were talking about with you being too swollen to, yeah. to for that to function quite how you wanted it to? Yeah. Cause that's the thing about, uh, because I, I'm, I'm super hard on my prosthetics anyway. Cause I, I, I draw a lot from like bodybuilding stuff, but, um, if, uh, uh, if, if you wear them for a long time, you end up getting just kind of some edema in there. And, uh, it's, it's the kind of edema that even if you do like a good ice dunk or anything, it'll, uh, it'll kind of stick around for a day. And I've been wearing that for like about six to eight hours a day for two days in a row. Mm -hmm. And usually I have to take that, take that third day off. Um, used to be like I, I'd get to a certain point in the day where I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be able to to wear a prosthetic for the rest of the day but the, that's kind of the cool thing about having the the alternating compression zones in there uh, kind of a, like it being a splint but uh, yeah the so um, like when you lose some surface area in circulation mm -hmm. uh, edema becomes a problem in in nubs like like I was telling you the austere environment stuff Right. Uh, one thing that kills me is uh, is when it's like 33 degrees and raining, <laughs> because cold and wet. <laughs> oh, dude, like like cold and super wet. Because North, like I'm from Colorado. I'm from a super dry climate, so like super, uh, um, so like um, uh, not more humid. Like the super humid stuff in North Carolina. Like I'd I'd swell up like a like a balloon, and uh, man, it was hard to wear prosthetics for a while. So. Okay, so that's kind of one of the bigger things. Like when somebody like me that, you know, has never dealt with a prosthetic, like, I don't think about that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you would think, I would just think about, okay, does this, does this attach correctly? Does it function? Oh, yeah. But then there's so many, you know, little things that you guys have to deal with, the mm -hmm. swelling of it, wearing it too long, you know, how, oh, yeah. how the splint and how that is fitted on there and how that affects your functionality of it and uh, all of that. Oh yeah. Uh, sweating. Cause oh, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, I got, I got a buddy who's down in San Diego, uh, who, uh, he got blown up like 10 days before me and he, he lost his legs at both knees. Um, and I was a little mad that he recovered faster than me. Um, but, um, he, uh, he actually was one of the first guys to, to draw my attention to the fact that we, uh, we sweat different, uh, because you've lost so much skin surface area. Uh, so, so like he, so like sweating in a socket is a big problem. So you've got, so sometimes you've got a, a layer in different kinds of socks. Like I use, um, actually, a um, a hiking sock liner. Um, that I, um, I picked, I picked it up for ruck marches, um, mm -hmm. just so my feet wouldn't, uh, bleed to death. Uh, but it turned out to be like, it's super thin. And because of the grippiness to like attach on the inside of a sock, it works great on the inside of my, um, uh, my adaptive sports prosthetic. And, uh, so I just, you know, put that thing on, I get some moisture wicking and I negate the problem of this plastic getting real slick when I start getting sweaty, sweaty. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's cool that you mentioned, um, the... Um, 
you know, real wad and how you competing in the adaptive vision as well for CrossFit. I've met a few guys, one in Oregon that, um, had a similar, uh, not story, but a similar, um, like pro, uh, not amputation. Cause he had been born that way, but yeah, I don't um, know what you call it. Yeah. Level, level of, uh, yeah. difference. Yeah. And, um, he would, he actually had both. Mm-hmm. One was a little bit longer than the other, but he would use like straps, like lifting straps to like, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think yeah. he's on. I think he's on Team Some Assembly Required with me. Okay. Um, yeah, I've. Uh, I think the first time I saw him uh, was when I was recovering, and he was doing like clapping push-ups on yoga blocks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that dude. That dude was nuts. Yeah, I'm enamored by like he'll do muscle ups on those things. Mm-hmm. He'll clean like with the straps, and I'll do, I did work a few workouts with him when I was when I lived in Oregon up in Redmond, and uh-huh. he, um, yeah, I was. Uh, it was a good a good way to work like some people would be like oh like you know wouldn't you you know crush that guy and you're like no like we're doing stuff that you know everything well everything in crossfit is so different like you can scale any workout to have you know your mom being able to keep up with you because of you know as long as she's at a certain fitness level you scale it enough you and you're doing enough advanced you know you're going to be able to push back and forth totally like Um, I, i train a few people that are in their 70s down in southern pines that are um like they constantly surprise me with how hard they work, um, and I, I I love coaching them specifically because it's it's really easy for me to be like, because they're like, oh, you're so fit. I'm like, yeah, but I I scale most things. Like I, yeah. I I scale things all the time. So like helping me helping them scale is is uh it's an easy transition for me. Yeah, yeah, and um, you, I don't know if you've ever come across Kevin Ogar with yeah, uh, uh, Wheel Wad. He's a fellow Coloradan, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a lot of family there, and I live there for. Uh, maybe six years in Colorado, Denver, nice. and all, kind of all around. Um, nice. I'm, I'm from Greeley, went to school in Greeley. Boulder. So. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Boulder. Have you been back? Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's one of my favorite places to yeah. visit. It's when, so when cool. I go back there. Yeah, I love that place. Um, the craziest thing, side story on Boulder, is like when we were, I think I was just out of high school. I just moved there. I had a few buddies that were going to, to see you, Boulder. And I would drive in to come visit them. And you see those, you know, those towers that are like the, the freshman housing. Yeah. And the wind coming off the mountains, you see those things like swaying mm-hmm. back and forth. And you're just like, those things are going to fall. That's where I was a resident advisor. Okay. <laughs> I was on the top floor. I, I did the 12th floor of, of Darley North and Darley South because those are yeah. those towers. And uh, yeah, you can feel it. Can you? <laughs> they got the sky bridges in there too. But there's there's times when you're sitting in the top because I, I, I lived in the 12, on the 12th floor my freshman year. And then junior year, I was I was a resident advisor, and when you're on that 12th floor, you're like there's times when you can feel it, especially oh, yeah. when you can hear that wind. Oh, because that wind coming off the foothills is gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, Kevin, being from Colorado or being living there for a you know a good chunk of of my time, mm-hmm. I trained a lot with him. Um, he was like one of my main training partners when back in 2000. And, 13, 14 before his injury. Yeah. And, um, and then just to be and go through that process with him, obviously it's nothing like going through it yourself, but like, you know, being, going and visit him in the hospital, being there with the injury happened and like Mm -hmm. help, like, you know, doing whatever we could to help him through rehabilitation and, um, just being there for him. It's been cool to meet other guys and, and to, um, have a little bit more appreciation for, you know, people that, that go through, you know, whatever it might be, an, an injury, an accident, a, an attack in your case, you know, yeah. um, and just how they respond and bounce back from that. And well, like, he, he's such a good uh, adaptive athlete too. He's so good at it. Like 
I've had uh, when whenever I have somebody who's got like a big injury in the gym, like like people that'll freaking shatter their ankles or whatever, like. If if it's a lower body thing, shatter the ankles or whatever. Yeah, because I've I've had a couple people that have done stuff like that. You know, especially when uh, uh, it'll always be outside the gym. Yeah, it'll be like oh, I fell off. Uh, like I I I freaking jacked up my ankle falling off my front steps. Um, just a big just a bad roll. But like I had somebody with a um, they had like a, a minor tib fib fracture fracture, and um, I I had seen like a couple months before I'd seen Kevin Ogard do a seated deadlift on a bench where he had himself strapped to a bench. He had the bar underneath the bench, and he was just sitting up with it. So he's still okay. getting all the lower back and shoulder engagement. Yeah. And so I was like, I know exactly what we're going to do with you. Yeah. Like, we got this. Did you strap your, your guy to the bench, or did you just have him like, all right, put one I didn't foot need, down? I didn't need to strap him. Right. I was like, you can you can put your foot down, but I want you to like – and I, I, I just told him how I needed them to drive and, and got that. And so they still got the – the deadlift stimulus out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but since they didn't have to like, uh, because, because Kev, Kevin's a dude that looks like he'd be mad stable no matter what position you put him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I was like, all right, cool. You can stabilize with your feet. Um, but we don't need to go for the full, like we don't need to do the full, full wheelchair variant for this. Right. That's awesome. That's so cool to see like just the people in the community and, and how the adaptive division has started to grow. Mm-hmm. And you just see people from all different backgrounds, you know, coming throwing down and you know still doing what they love to do challenge themselves push themselves with oh yeah all types of injuries you'll see people with like ms with mm-hmm. um you know missing limbs you'll see people with um uh are there any paraplegics or quads uh there's definitely a few quads right um or sorry uh, I, I know the guys with cp uh cerebral palsy yeah um and then what's it, the girl Ste- uh is her name Ste- i want to say steffi but i, I feel like mm-hmm. that's wrong uh oh shoot i i feel like i know who you're talking about yeah. i can't remember her name off the top of my head yeah but she's she's in a wheelchair right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's in a wheelchair um like a lot of the wheelchair athletes are are freaking monsters yeah. um i know a gal down in texas named Vanessa Cantu who um uh spinal injury from a car crash she wears leg braces um and when i first met her um she was mostly wheelchair only um but she gets up and she works on crutches most of the time now because she's gotten that lower body activation she needs mhm yeah and then you just see, like like you said, the, the people in the wheelchairs are, are gnarly. Like mm-hmm. when they come into the gym, you're like, all right, well, you know, what are, you know, what are we going to be doing? And, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to have to modify. And you're like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, all right, that's cool. I'll do that too. And you're like, yep. wait, what? <laughs> and then you see like how they've adapted to, you know, doing the same work as, yeah. as you would or anybody else would, but with these huge, you know, limitations and totally. being able to just still crush it and get after it and are oftentimes more intense and get after it harder than anybody else oh absolutely which like, is so inspiring yeah well, there's that um wheelchair dude um uh zach rule um, yeah zach yeah i know yeah, zach yeah he's a he's a fucking nutcase with that yeah. but with that like whatever 600 pound bench press or whatever like oh he's a stud he'd he'd uh, he'd be like like he's he's like fucking bigger than me like he's yeah. a, he's a huge dude like, yeah well you think about how much he weighs you're like okay mm-hmm. when you think about because he's i think from just below the torso, like sm- he has. Yeah, he's he's like he's like double mid thigh, double, double high thigh. Yeah, high thigh. Um, and you think about how much he weighs, and you're like, okay, that's the upper torso of like a 250 pound man. Oh, straight up, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a he's an NFL linebacker. Yeah, but you don't think about it because you know he doesn't have the rest of it. So mm-hmm. you're like, you forget, and then yeah. you see him in like a street fight, you know, mm-hmm. wailing on that's, some dude, and like, and you're like, that. oh, okay. <laughs> Now I remember this is a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, and him just doing muscle ups with his wheelchair yeah. on. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah. Or rope climbs. I remember mm-hmm. when we started. Um, another good guy in that community, Gustavo Marquez. 
I have met. I, I think I might have. Uh, I'm not sure if I met met, met Gustavo. What's yeah. he? Uh, um, what's his like uh, amputation and everything? He's. I don't think he's an amputee, but he's got. Uh, he's paralyzed from waist down. Uh-huh. Um, from a uh, motorcycle accident when he was a kid in San okay. Diego, and um, and then so he's he's in a wheelchair, but he just gets after it. But nice. he was one of the first guys that. I remember no, like seeing after that happened to Kevin, you know, mm-hmm. starting to see more. And I, I don't, obviously the people were, were in, you know, those situations and still getting after it before that. But like yeah. when something that close happens to you, you start to, you know, see more of it, um, you know, connect with those people a little bit more and have a, and I think with the exposure, there's a much bigger appreciation for, for all of that now. Totally. Yeah. I mean, heck, there was that uh, Netflix documentary that just came out uh, about the the Paralympians that was uh, very cool. Okay. Um, had a had a lot of those guys in it that did the real specific sports. Um, right. Like the dude down, and I think he's in South Carolina, who's the uh, uh, hand amputee shoots uh, shoots Paralympic archery with his feet. Damn. And uh, yeah, that's all sorts of cool stuff. I mean, uh, heck, uh, Logan Aldridge is just north of me. And that dude is a, is a crusher when it comes down to like one arm athletes. Mm-hmm. Like he's a he's a fucking nutcase. Yeah, we had. A, I just remembered. I can't believe I didn't remember before. But we had a Zion Wilson. Uh, no, not Zion Wilson. That's the basketball player. Zion oh. Clark. Okay. Uh, Big Z on uh, the podcast, and he was a. He's a wrestler. Yeah. So he wrestles. He's got um, same thing. High, but I think he was born that way, not amputated. Mm-hmm. Um, but a high thigh. Yeah. And um, and he wrestles for. I want to say Ohio. Ohio State. He did. Nice. Maybe I might be lying, and then because he's from Ohio, so maybe I'm mm-hmm. making that up. But then he's also uh, going for uh, the Olympics for track. Hell so, yeah! yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, Big Z. Is that the boy? Yeah. So they they have a little Netflix series on him. Oh nice. But he like uh, he's a stud too, man. Oh, I've seen that guy. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He, yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, he's a stud. That's cool as hell. This would have freaked me out. This uh, Halloween costume he did, I was yeah. so good. <laughs> imagine, imagine him coming at you like that. Oh, that's so good. At a pumpkin patch or something. Oh man, I used to. I, my favorite job of all time was in high school. I used to work in a corn maze. Okay. As the people that would run around and scare you, like that dude. That that dude. Uh, I would have doubled my salary to be him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he'll like we were. Uh, we worked out together, and and like same thing we were talking about. I was like, you know, hey, you know, what do you want to do? How do you want to scale this? And he was like, nah, I don't need that. Yeah. And he was like, you know, fuck that. <laughs> I'm doing what y'all are doing. Nice. He's a stud, man. Dude, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. Uh, I'll, dude, with the, um, with the way the wrestling works, I got, I'll, bet, I'll bet he just freaking crushes. Yeah. That's super cool. He's got a really cool story, too. Like, you know, growing up in not a great part of, of Cleveland, I think it was, Ohio mm-hmm. somewhere, and um, kind of how he was, you know, getting into trouble and, you know, dealing drugs, you know, getting into fights and, um, Mata on the right there is a, yeah. is a beast. He's big, <laughs> big dude. He looks like a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, he, he kind of how he, he, he figured out what he was doing in his life. He's got a mm-hmm. cool story. For That's sure. awesome. Um, but let's talk about you, uh, your story. Yeah. That's uh, why I, we're I, here. I, can, yeah, I can talk about other people all day. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're here. So let's start with, um, just uh, give me like where you grew up, where you went to school, like young, young yeah. childhood stuff, and then, um, and then we'll kind of get into what what led you to you know enlisting, kind of that process. Okay, doke. Well, um, uh, I'm the oldest of four. Um, 
I was uh, I was born. My dad was in the army. My dad was an uh, army infantry guy uh, when he was at the 101st Airborne out in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was born there, but I don't remember any of it. I was super young. Uh, my uh, my dad's from Kentucky. My mom's from Colorado. So when my dad came up on his recruiting time, uh, which was a like it's a thing you got to do once you become a more senior sergeant. Uh, he went back to Loveland, Colorado. Um, two of my siblings were born there, and then we moved back to North Carolina. My dad got assigned to the 82nd um, uh, Airborne, uh, Airborne, and he, uh, uh, my last little brother was born there. And then my dad, um, so uh, right about when I was like six years old, my dad came down really hard on a parachute drop. Like I think he had to pull his reserve and landed real hard, uh, fractured a few vertebrae, herniated a few discs, and uh, so he got medically discharged. And we moved back to um, Greeley, Colorado, so that he could um, be. Uh, he wanted to go to the University of Northern Colorado to get his uh, teaching degree, and uh, he he did. So he's a he's a history teacher now at uh, Thompson Valley High School out in Loveland. Uh, same name, by the way. So I have to always check my uh, um, check when I get my driver's license that they don't send me uh, his. his. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, hey, your birthday's wrong. I'm like, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the one that's thirty. Yeah, um, but I'm the younger one. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, the younger uh, version. The younger one. <laughs> it's like I, I have a middle name. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, like right after my dad went through school to be a history teacher, my mom went from being a legal secretary to going to school to be a nurse, and now that's what she does full time. So, uh, both my parents like they're they're truly passionate about helping people. Like they, that's that's kind of the thing they do. And so I went through um, elementary school and middle school like. Uh, um, uh, I was, I was, I was too skinny of a kid and I was a fat short kid. And then I was a, uh, freaking beanpole. And, uh, then I kind of like over the course of that, I kind of got really interested in like, okay, like how could I physically improve myself and try a couple sports, find one that fit for me, it was swimming. Um, nice. because I, like, I, I was really comfortable in the water and, um, you know, I had a fairly average GPA and, and everything like, I, but I, I had a really like, uh, Back in the early 2000s, it was the uh, ASVAB was the test that you took to, to get in the military. And um, my school, you had to take it mandatory because the same people wrote the ACT. Okay. And so it was, it was, it was like a prep test. Those I, same assholes. Yeah, those same people. <laughs> but I've always been good at, you know, standardized tests. So like, uh, so it, it kind of just fit. So I got, I got a high percentile on that. And all of a sudden recruiters were calling. And my dad, having been a recruiter, would just pick up the phone and be like, yeah, fuck off. And, uh, um, but eventually like I, I had a buddy who was trying to join the Marines. So I'd go and I'd work out with those guys. And, uh, I come home one day and I'm like, Hey dad, like I want to, I think I want to go and join the Marines. Uh, cause like I'll do, I'll do college on the GI bill later. And, uh, he kind of sat me down and he's like, Carrie, I did enough ground pounding for the whole family. Cause he was 11 years in the infantry. Uh, he's like, if you want to go do the army, you can do ROTC and you can get a commission as an officer. And uh, so we went down to the University of Colorado, um, talked to them, uh, and um, they were super cool. Um, just we all we did was talk to the Army ROTC. I loved uh, loved everything about it, and immediately rolled into it. Um, I went in thinking I was going to have to pay for my first year of college. They surprised me with a scholarship, uh, a four year, like right off the bat. And so went through four years of that, um, shooting for infantry the whole time, and. Uh, um, in 2012, I graduated, uh, I got to be infantry, but I was branch detailed from, uh, military intelligence, which is, uh, basically it means I do, I do all my Lieutenant time up to captain in the infantry. And then as a captain, I transferred to military intelligence. 
um, which worked out because I majored in history and Chinese language. So I was, I was interested in that. Uh, and then I uh, went through infantry school, infantry officer basic down at Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, met some great guys, did some great training, um, got way too little sleep, which is exactly what you need to do. Um, and then I was uh, telling you before uh, we started talking on Mike, um, I went to Ranger School, got hurt. Before you go into that, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, go um, quick question. When you go, when you went through, so you went into the ROTC program, they kind of scholarship, they gave you a scholarship and kind of paid for you to go to school yeah. to be able to do what you went to school for, mm-hmm. for the Army. Exactly. Um, and then that that was kind of what your your dad was 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 wanting you to do because mm-hmm. you know he was like hey I've I've done enough ground pounding as you put it which yeah. is a good term uh, yeah. for the whole family you know why don't you go in as a higher higher level um, yeah. or an officer right so yeah yes. yeah that, that's the uh, that that was the job because he's uh, he he'd been an enlisted guy so like if you're an enlisted you go in as a private and you go up through all the ranks of sergeant uh, if you're an officer you start as a uh, second lieutenant, and then you're supposed to go up through the ranks like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd he'd been he'd been on the lower levels up to like squad leader. How much time does it kind of save? Is it is it basically get you a little bit further ahead mm-hmm. than if you were just to go enlist? And versus, um, you know, is it possible to still get to that same spot from oh, yeah. just enlisting? It's just like you get a bigger a bigger jump start. So it's um uh so it's it's two separate tracks because right. like the non commissioned officers are all the 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 beans and bullets and like the salt of the earth dudes that like make the army run and mm-hmm. all the officers are like supposed to be the eggheads that like coordinate everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But like I I I know guys that have done all different levels of it because uh, um you can go enlisted and you can stay enlisted all the way up through if you want to be the sergeant major of the army like you can stay in for. 30, 40 years and do that. Um, or you can like start in a uh, reserve officer training corps, ROTC, or at one of the academies, and you can start off immediately as a an officer after four years of training. Um, or you can go through officer candidate school, which is you've been an enlisted guy and you've gotten up to a particular rank and you volunteer to go through a few month training at uh, at Fort Benning. And, uh, and then you come out as a, as a second lieutenant. And there's a lot of guys that, like, um, one of my good friends from infantry school, uh, a guy named Charles Ensminger, um, he uh, went through, uh, I think he was at Texas Tech, uh, legal dude, or uh, pre-legal dude, scored like a 97% on his, on his LSAT, so, like, he's fucking crazy smart. And uh, then he, like, had this moment of panic. He's like, I don't just want to be behind a desk for the rest of my life. So he went down and he um, to a recruiter, and he got an OCS, an officer candidate school uh, contract. So it was – he got to enlist. He went through basic training as a private or a specialist. I can't remember which. And uh, then he just immediately went from basic training to advanced training, which would be an enlisted thing, and then straight to officer candidate school, and then straight to – um, infantry officer basic. So he spent like a year at Fort Benning prior to me even getting there, just basically going through every bit of training you'd need to be an officer in a condensed time. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about that was he's such a, like, he was a smart and really well-rounded guy. Like he brought a totally different perspective than a dude who went to college to, to be an army guy because he'd been to college. He'd had that prior life experience. And then he spent all this time training up in the army. So like just a um, so that I've, I've met guys that have done all different paths to get to officer, but you don't, okay. you don't necessarily need to start enlisted. Okay. Um, 
And I, okay, that's that was my question there. And then so, yeah. so you're going through, you go through, um, and then you're you're in, and you're you're starting to go to ranger school. You were saying, yeah. So uh, if you're an infantry officer, it's it's expected of you to go be ranger qualified to go get a ranger tab, which is uh, uh, sixty days of you are going to do infantry tactics. When we are like we're going to deprive you of sleep, we're going to deprive you of food, um, we're going to test your leadership skills. Um, there's not really any rank uh it's everybody's on the same team doing this all like this big progression together and um it's advanced infantry tactics it's a very it's a, it's a it's prestigious to get that tab uh and i got hurt in like the first week damn <laughs> and um uh you know it, it was just one of those things like i'm gonna tough it out and then i i failed land navigation because my knee was so jacked up from trying to go over a wall that i went over wrong uh, and so I went back like, Hey, I'm, I'd want to go back to ranger school. And they're like, well, you're too far ahead on timeline. Like we need you to, you need to actually go. Like I was assigned to the 101st, actually my dad's old brigade. Wow. And, uh, so like, you're going to go over there, uh, head over to the brigade. And if you're an infantry guy, like the ranger, ranger tabs expected of you. So my commander immediately goes, uh, all right, Carrie, you're going to be like, you're going to stay here. Uh, we're gearing up for deployment. We're going to Afghanistan. Uh, you can stay here with the rear detachment and you can just, just worry about going back to ranger school. And I was, uh, I, I, I was, I was cool with that cause I really wanted my ranger tab. But then a sergeant major asked me, he's like, Hey, uh, out of curiosity, like if you had the choice, ranger school or going on a deployment, it's like, what would you do? And I was like, well, I mean, this might be one of the last deployments that the 101st does to Afghanistan. So like, you know, I can, I can go to ranger school after a deployment. And what year was this? Uh, 2013. Okay, yeah. So and it's like kind of settling down now, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, yeah. It was on. It was. It was after after the big jump in the surge. So like everything was kind of transitioning to transition operations. I, I know. I forget the acronyms for it. Um, but I was like, yeah, last uh, last time in Afghanistan, it's a nine month deployment. It's not the longest time in the world. I might be able to just kind of knock this out. And uh, he apparently was impressed by that answer or he didn't like me. I'm not sure which at this point. Uh, but, uh, he, he says, pack your bags. You're coming to like the, the month long training down at Fort Polk, uh, JRTC, um, uh, that, that we do before deployment. So I, I got to go in and I got to do a job. I, I started being a battle captain, which is like, you're the, you're the Lieutenant that's supposed to coordinate all the units in an area in a tactical operations center, which is like, they, they tell you that's what it is, but it's really a major and they just need you to do all the like stuff to keep everything tweaked and put together. Um, and I, I did that for a month and then they gave me a platoon. Uh, and so I got to, I got to actually be a combat infantry platoon leader with, uh, like my, my platoon sergeant, um, Justin Richardson was, uh, like he was kind of known as one of the best platoon sergeants in second brigade combat team. Uh, and I, I was assigned to um, Alpha Company uh, of the uh, Alpha Company first of the five hundred second infantry, and um, my commander was awesome. Uh, one of those OG CrossFit guys, uh, so he was just like uh, friggin' jacked and tan. Came from Ranger Bat, like really funny dude. Like we had uh, he, <laughs> I didn't I didn't think it was yeah, I didn't think it was possible to meet a guy who was like um, more more dry in his humor than me. But he was but he was it. Yeah. And, uh, so like I immediately, you know, started working out with him, uh, started going outside the wire with my platoon and, um, uh, just honestly, uh, it was really cool to be able to go out on that deployment and partner with Afghan forces and, uh, try and, you know, help out a region. Like that was, that was one thing I was very motivated to do as a platoon leader. And when 
when my commander goes, hey, we're going to go out here and we're going to try and partner with these guys to actually do some good, um, I was all about it. Yeah. So your job there was partnering with the Afghan, the local forces to, you know, keep villages, mo- probably mostly villages, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and cities, towns, I guess you'd call them. Yep. Safe from any type of Taliban or was that mostly the, the, the people in that region at the time? Uh, it was, it was a mix. Um, I, I, again, I, I was supposed to go into military intelligence. So I spent a little bit too much time kind of nerding out about the different groups out there because mm-hmm. like, uh, we had the Taliban, uh, the Haqqani network was another one that was out there. So there were, there's a whole bunch of different factions. I mean, there were some times when you'd go into the tactile operations center and they'd have a, they'd have a surveillance, uh, asset up and you'd be watching like, you'd be watching a war in a village between a couple of different, like, like these guys are more smuggling based. Like these guys are trying to get poppies out of the country. Cause we were also right on the Pakistan border. Mm. So you had a, like, there was a lot of stuff going on, but like, as far as, you know, my deployment went and, and around the Americans, like we, like I was, I would, um, it was comparatively a fairly, um, low impact of deployment for me and my platoon. Like we didn't, we didn't see a whole heck of a lot right up front. So what we do is we, partner with the Afghan police or the Afghan army. And we'd go out and we'd say, Hey, we have vague intelligence that there might be, um, like, like this might be an area where there is uh, smuggling happening or where they might have a, have a weapons cache or something to that effect. And, uh, we kind of compare notes with, um, their intelligence guys. And they'd say, yeah, we think we've narrowed it down to like these three houses. And then we'd partner up with the Afghan guys and they would, they would do a raid uh, find a small weapons cache, and we would usually just be the guys like pulling security because everything at that point was Afghan led. Okay, so you're you're at that point. The Afghans have had enough training to know, and you guys are kind of just oh, there to oversee and support them, help them with their own raids and yeah. and their own policing of the towns and, and villages. Yeah, and the guys that were primary on that were were special forces dudes, which is where I kind of had my first like real contact with special forces guys because. Um, uh, when we first got in there, I want to say uh, uh, when we left, it was third group special forces who are guys that specialize in um, mostly mostly they they specialize in Africa, but they have a lot of Afghanistan presence as well. And um, they were partnered up with Afghan commandos who are um, kind of their they're like it's basically their their version of the Rangers. And those are guys that have trained with Americans for the for the entire occupation, like they know what they're doing. Um, very jovial guys, like really, really easy to talk to. And we got to partner with them, uh, them once or twice. Uh, they make it easy. Like that, the, like what there's, there's, uh, certain parts of the Afghan army and the Afghan police that are, um, they're, they, they, they know what they're doing at this point and they know how to do it. And so we're, you know, like I said, it was like, you're not going in and looking for shit. Um, even though we did, uh, we did, you know, run into a couple, couple things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, it's going to be Afghan led. Nice. And so you're you're there. You're you're uh, you're going out. You're you're helping Afghan forces. At what point do you, you know, this is the deployment where you you get the injury, correct? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I had had the one deployment. Got yeah. Lucky. Yeah. All right, guys. Support for Pardon Me podcast comes from Manscaped. All right, guys. You guys already, I'm sure, if you're listening to this, you know what Manscaped is about. If you don't, it's very self-explanatory. Manscaped is a one-stop shop for men's grooming products. You got your your ball trimmers. So this is the lawnmower. There it is right there, the lawnmower 3.0. This thing has ceramic blades. It's guaranteed not to nick your balls. I guess we've, or not I guess, I know 
we've all been in a spot where we've been trimming up, cleaning up for that special night, for that special somebody, just to open yourself up in the shower and bleed all over the place. It grabs you, it pulls the hair out. You don't want that. This thing is guaranteed not to do that, guys. I've been testing this thing out, and uh, I can safely say that this thing works, all right, guys? And they have everything. They've got nose hair trimmers. They've got nail clippers. They've got ball wipes. They've got uh, deodorant sprays for your nuts. All things undercarriage for men. And a, um, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I definitely know some ladies that use the Manscaped products as well from their mans. All right, guys, if you guys want to grab some of your own this holiday season, use code Pardon Me for 20% off. All right, guys, code pardon me, 20% off at manscaped.com. Keep those nuts happy. Keep your ladies happy. And um, yeah, send me send me DMs. Let me see what you're working with. All right, guys, support for the podcast is brought to you by Loco Coffee. These guys bring you cold brew coffee mixed with additives, two simple ingredients. You got your cold brew coffee, and then in the what color is this? This is green. I'm a little colorblind. In the green can, they have maple water. In the blue can, they have coconut water. All right. So they mix the the cold brew coffee with that two ingredients. That's it. Gives you over 200 milligrams of caffeine in a bottle. Gives you natural electrolytes and energy, um, antioxidants as well from that. No sugar. If you guys want to check them out, use code Pardon Me for 20% off. And their website is Drink Loco Coffee. Com. All right, check them out. Good guys, uh, small company, and uh, they support us, so we're going to support them, and I hope you guys do too. Check them out one more time. That is drinklococoffee.com. Use code PARDONME for 20% off. Check them out. So take me through, you know, you're here, you're you're um, doing what, what seems like, hey, I'm doing some good. I'm helping mm-hmm. these forces, and I'm supporting them, and, you know, and we're kind of clearing the, the, you know, the, the threats from these villages and Mm -hmm. the, we're getting them so they can be self-sufficient, stable, and, um, we're helping that. So, um, and then walk me through, um, you know, what happened, Okay. how long, how long you're there for before it happens, you know? So, uh, I was there for about six months, like a little over six months, uh, when I ended up getting injured. So you're coming to like the back Couple yeah, we're, yeah, few we're on, months. We're on the. We're actually at the point where we're starting to put together our stuff to transition to the next uh, unit, um, because I um, like I think a cav unit was coming in next, and um, like we, we we'd been going outside the wire, and but like another thing that my like my my company did was we did uh, quick reaction force stuff for. Um, you had uh, some British SAS and SBS guys that would come in, or you'd have. Um, you know, like uh, there were Navy SEALs right across the because we were on Jalalabad Airfield. Um, so uh, yeah, you had Navy SEALs across the way. You had the Special Forces guys, and usually it'd be like, "Hey, here's the infantry guys. Like, if you guys need some need some backup, these guys can be there quick, no matter where you are." Uh, so, you know, we'd get to talking with those guys. We'd have contact with those guys, and eventually, we were kind of working with the Special Forces guys to partner up with the Afghan dudes that we knew, and they were going to partner up with the commander commandos. And they were going to go into this town that, like, our our um, local government contacts were like, that is a Taliban village, like, period. Like, they know they they know there's guys in there. Uh, so we plan with SF that uh, they're going to go in on helicopters and they're going to kind of sweep this town for the night and they're going to find the people they need to find. And we're going to be right across the river, um, in the 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 district capital, in kind of a walled compound, uh, 
waiting to go across the river if we need to. And it's a dry riverbed, so like we we would have had to figure that out as, as it went because we had these big armored vehicles. <laughs> it would have been a would have been a foot charge if they needed us. But we were there overnight. It ended up being like almost a forty eight hour thing because we went early in the morning. They did the whole thing overnight, um, and then uh, the next day, um, SF uh, tags a bunch of guys. They you know uh, they 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 write down who they who they get. Um, they get all the biometrics. And uh, then then they leave on on helicopters, and then we leave in our big armored vehicles. And because we'd been static for a long time, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of fuel left, uh, just because those armored uh, armored cars are like they're gas guzzlers. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and then you we we got up to one point in our um, uh, we, we we're, we're heading back to base, and we get to like the one bottleneck where it's like, okay, we can go back to base. Or we're going to go up the big way around the base, and we're probably going to run out of gas. So it was like, all right, cool. We need to take the quick way back to base. And uh, then, you know, I'm sitting down there, and I'm typing in a report that we're passing a checkpoint, and um, and an explosion goes off. And uh, what had happened was there was a, a, a vehicle-borne IED, so a, a Toyota pickup truck, basically, that was loaded with, like, like I, I've heard of 500 and a thousand pounds of explosives. I don't know, but basically this car like turned itself into confetti, mm-hmm. but, um, it blew my vehicle completely off the road. Um, the, the whole door of my truck came off. Um, uh, cause I was, I was in the passenger seat. That's where the commander sits because you know, I, I can't be driving and mm-hmm. passing up reports, you know, cause I can't multitask. <laughs> um, but, uh, get blown off the road and then we just roll, roll, roll like three times and we end up on the, uh, passenger side. So like the vehicle's over on its side. I am basically like, and I'm looking up out my driver's door, like, like a, like I'm looking at a well and, uh, <laughs> my guys in the back, um, like I'm, I'm, I, I was, uh, I've, I've got kind of like this mom impulse. Like before we left the district center, I turned back and was like, everybody got their seatbelts on. They were like, yes, mom. And then the second we were out of the district center, they took off their fucking seatbelts. So all of them got kind of like rattled in the Damn. back. Yeah. They all, Ended up with um, a little bit of hearing, like uh, like uh, Mike Gunner like blew out his eardrums, and they all had concussions. Uh, but most of them walked away just fine. Um, our forward observer, the guy who's like in contact with like artillery and all that, uh, he cracked a vertebrae, but he was up and walking again in in Landstuhl, Germany. Um, and uh, and I'm sitting there on the on the uh, like my head's in the dirt because I didn't like I didn't put together that my door had gotten blown the fuck off my vehicle. So it, but it went from, did it impact your side? Yep. Impacted okay. my side. Like, okay. ba- like basically when, when the vehicle got back to the motor pool and they had to strip it down to like, to, to get rid of it. Like, uh, there, it, it had this big, like spherical cave in where my door was. And like the guys that were in the motor pool were like, there's no way that somebody in that seat survived that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, like Here you know, are. good American made <laughs> armored vehicles, I would be, if we hadn't been in an armored vehicle, I'd be liquid, like mm-hmm. straight up. Um, but like, I, um, I, I'm, I'm on my side and, uh, and I like, first thing I did is I just take off my helmet, and my eye pro. Cause I'd like, I, I couldn't see shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, and I look at my hand and, uh, I saw that I, I saw the damage, like. Every bone was broken. I could see the viscera, and I was like, "All right, um, I know enough about medical stuff that that's not coming back." So I just immediately could process, like, "Okay, the hand's probably gone." Mm-hmm. Um, and then my driver, uh, he's he's looking down, he's looking down the uh, the well of the of the vehicle. I have no fucking idea how he lifted that door because it's like a thousand pound door. 
and he's a skinny kid. And he looks down and he goes, uh, uh, Hey, the PL's fucked up. And I don't know who's got, who's shouting to. Um, and I, I try and I, I, I lift my arm and I, and I go, and I go, Din, get security. And I, I move this part of my arm and the rest of my arm is on the ground. And oh. that's when I realized I was in shock because I was like, Oh, that's fucked up too. Like I didn't realize it was like a, like a water balloon on the ground, like one of those tube ones. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, then my then I hear a sergeant run up and they're like, he's like, sir, sir, are you okay? And I don't remember saying this, but he's but he he swears that I said, yeah, I'm pretty fucked up, but I'm okay. <laughs> and he and he he's like he's like, and that's when I knew you were gonna be fine. Like I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Um. But like so I was like, okay, cool. So the arm's broken, and um. Then my uh and then my platoon sergeant rolls up, um. And I I again I'm hearing him outside the vehicle, and uh and he's like, sir, are you all right? I go. I go, yeah, get the guys out of the back, get security. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously shouting this through an armored vehicle. And, uh, and I was like, you need to like, you need to get these guys out first. Like I'm going to be really hard to get to. And he's like, sir, we've got everybody out of the back. You're the worst off. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. Handle me then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cause, um, cause like the, the way an operation goes, like if, if it's a, if it's a casualty, if it's a casualty evacuation, the, the Lieutenant or the, the officers and the one in charge, it's the highest ranking NCO. Like that's their, that's their wheelhouse. And, um, and I, at that point I was like, oh, I'm fully comfortable with letting Sergeant Richardson handle this because he's, he's good at what the fuck he does. Um, also out there is my, is my commander, the, the captain CrossFit nut I was telling mm-hmm. you about who had wrecked my ass, uh, the day before with this crazy 400 step up and 20 minute jog workout the day before we'd gone out. So I I'd, I'd been walking around probably borderline rhabdo that whole day. And um and he rolls up and apparently he got on the radio and he was just like he's got he's got a fucking very white voice. Like he was he was calm and collected. And uh once he found out that I was conscious, he came up and he said something along the lines of like uh hey Carrie, don't think this don't think this gets you out of doing leg day tomorrow. <laughs> And, uh, and I was just like, ah, go fuck yourself, sir. Like, so we, we were just like, <laughs> with joking. all due respect, yeah, with all due respect, go fuck yourself. Um, but I, like, I had no idea how worried he was because he was like, he was very cool and collected. He handled the whole, like the whole thing that Sergeant Richardson wasn't. And then like my two biggest dudes like got down in the vehicle along with my medic to try and lift me out. And these were guys that like, um, one of them's my size and other guys are a pretty, a really competent crossfitter and Olympic lifter. And they were uh, they're trying to lift me out, but after, of course, my medic is like, "Okay, like we need to get a tourniquet around the leg." Like he pops a fentanyl lollipop in my mouth, and he's <laughs> he's like, he's doing all the stuff to, like keep me conscious, like the best bedside manner of any doctor I've ever met. And it's this medic. He he gotten a silver star on a prior deployment just for like for treating people and not knowing he had shrapnel in his leg. Um, and he he's just like keep me conscious. He's like, tell me about your girlfriend, like all that stuff. And I'm sitting there like, and I'm a little punchy. Uh, uh, and I, I think, I think I remember the, um, uh, the fire suppression system goes off. Like, I don't think anything was burning, but like all of a sudden like foam starts uh, coming out <laughs> oh. and I just start laughing and he's like, he's like, sir, what's so fucking funny? I was like, of course the fire suppression would go off. Like, why wouldn't it? At this point? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he gets me, he gets me good and stable. Um, and, uh, uh, then, then my two big guys are in there and they're, they're trying to lift me out and I'm trying to do whatever it is that I can to, to like help. Cause like, I know the arms are jacked up. Um, but it's tourniqueted. I can't feel it. Um, I can't feel the leg, uh, and I don't know why yet. Um, but I could, but I could like wiggle my toes. So I, I knew it wasn't a spinal thing. 
And, um, so I'm, I'm like, I'm like reaching up to whatever I can grab on like the seats above me and I'm trying to help pull myself out. And these two guys, like they're pulling, but, uh, but like the medics driving to make sure that, that nothing breaks on the way out. And, um, then we, uh, and they're like, they're like, he's caught on something. And so we move my, um, uh, we move like a radio mount or something. And, uh, then I see my leg and my leg is bent backwards um at like like the low part of the femur and i've got this big exposed bit of purple muscle up high in my leg and i found out like six months later that apparently what had happened is during the rollover my whole weapon had gone into my leg so my magazine well had punched through the skin and the muscle and when somebody had needed a weapon i had literally pulled my weapon out of my leg and like handed it up to my driver (laughs) and uh totally didn't even like noticed that and then and and uh then we saw that the um my foot was actually outside the vehicle and the only reason my foot wasn't severed by a freaking 15 ton vehicle or whatever it was falling on top of it is because my foot was in a pothole <laughs> and so it was like oh shit and so oh so, my gosh yeah so like it's like lucky 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 and uh so we we pulled the foot out and um then like right as we get the foot out um there's there's uh these these specialty recovery dudes in the 101st called pathfinders and they're dudes that like if an explosion goes off they're in the air in a helicopter immediately they don't even know what it is and then they'll get the call over the radio and they'll direct the helicopter to where they're supposed to go and so these guys come out with like the military version of the jaws of life it's these big circular saws and shit and they they clear everybody and they start chopping uh they start chopping the windows my medic's in there with me and he's just fucking over top of me um like shielding me from sparks um, they pop the front window, they start pulling me out and they pull me out the front window. They stick me on a stretcher and, um, then they evac me. And that the, when they stick me on the stretcher is the first time I actually get to see my company commander. Um, and again, like I at no point thought this guy was worried, but he told me a, a long time later, he's like, yeah, the second we saw your arm, like they couldn't like fasten your arm to your body while you were on the stretcher. So it kept flopping off. <laughs> And we kept free, like we kept like yelling at the pathfinders, like get that fucking thing on there because like he's gonna lose that whole arm, and uh, and they they eventually did, but like I he 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 was like he was like I was sure you lost that fucking arm, like 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 months later, and uh, get evac to Jalalabad, and like I'm like I said I'm in shock um, at this point, um, but I'm I'm very lucid, I'm conscious of everything that's going on. Uh, and I, but I didn't think like, I was like, all right, cool. It's a, it's a broken leg. It's a broken arm. I don't know what's going on inside. I didn't think anything was bad until like we landed at the, at the, the clinic on, on Jaff and, uh, and there's the chaplain. And I was like, maybe, and then I'm out cause you know, uh, drugs, yeah. um, I get shipped to uh Bagram air base, uh, where I got like 12 hours of life-saving surgery. And then they ship me on a plane to Landstuhl or a helicopter. Actually, it's probably a plane. Um, and I, I woke up in Germany after like a day of being like totally drug haze and like, you know, your your brain's not functioning well. And it was like, and it's like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, and uh, and then after that, it was it was three days in Landstuhl, like surgery, surgery, surgery. They keep cleaning the wounds. I had real bad rhabdo apparently uh, from getting blown up. Like just the just my muscles were just dumping into my kidneys. And, um, so and the, the workout maybe, and the workout maybe. So <laughs> it, it, it could have been that, that bastard. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I had, I had all that, but, um, like I had, I had like the big external fixator in the, in the side of my leg and I was all taped up and they kept doing the surgeries, uh, to, to clean everything out and make sure that I wouldn't get an infection. And then when I was safe to move, they moved me to Walter Reed. 
they actually gave me a choice. They were like, do you want to go to Walter Reed or, or San Antonio? And uh, I, I, my, my old uh, ROTC commander had been out of Walter Reed and he got in prosthetics. So I was like, okay, I know that San Antonio is the best place to go for burns. Uh, I want to go to Walter Reed for prosthetics. Because, you know, like I said, I knew I'd, I knew I need a hand. And uh, get out there, uh, get out there to Walter Reed. And then I spent essentially the next six months of my life uh, at that hospital um, getting hardware implanted um, and, uh, and rehabbing. So that's, uh, and, and from that point on, I, I just, I was like, all right, cool. Like I know it's a hand, I know it's my dominant hand. Um, and I know it's a leg, um, but I still have most of my arm. I still have my whole leg minus 20% of my quadricep. Like, I think I can still be in the infantry. Like that's, that's my, that's my big thing. I still want to be an infantry officer. That's, uh, that's, that's huge to like go through that and be like, you know, no, I still want to do this. Mm -hmm. I still want not to, you know, be like, oh, I'm done. Because at that point, you could have been medically discharged from there. Right? Oh, yeah. You very well should probably most people would have said, yeah, he should have been. Yeah. And you were like, no, I want to I want to go back. I want to I want to be infantry. Still. Yeah. Well, that was the that was the <clears throat> thing about the hospital, because they've, they've got a warrior transition unit there. And most of the people that are traumatically injured, like they um, for, for one reason or another, they need to get out just because it's going to be it, it's difficult for them to uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult for, for most people. But like. There are some people that could take a take a serious look and be like, "All right, here's my my viability as a combat asset." And I and I I got to the hospital and it was like, "Hey, you didn't have a like you didn't have a brain injury." I was like, "Oh, cool. Well, like if if my bell's not rung that bad and I can still think, like I'm good. Like let's let's just, let's just go ahead and do this." But the the warrior transition unit out there is is really built around like let's transition you into normal civilian life, and so it was like I was I was swimming upstream to like try and stay in the army. But like I went and I, you know, I, I contacted my company commander, um, my battalion commander above him, even my brigade commander who was a colonel uh, left, left me a note. And I just like, Hey, can I get some, like, like I'm on the fast track to getting better. Can I get some letters of recommendation for coming right back to the unit? And uh, they all acquiesced. Like we, we ended up, we ended up getting everything put together and, um, I, I got to go like after I originally when I got amputated on the on the right side I had I had a thumb I had my wrist bones and a thumb because they were uh, they do as much limb salvage as they can so they're hoping that you can have a prosthetic rest of your hand and then you can like if you're dexterous enough with a thumb you can touch all the robotic fingers and you'll be really effective um, my thumb had been dead for a couple days at that at the point they revived it so like the nerve damage was done um, but I still I didn't want to get another amputation and be there even longer so I went right back to my unit um, my commander gave me another platoon I spent uh, about four months being a platoon leader and um, and passing all my minimums on the infantry uh, on the infantry uh, sorry on the army physical fitness test and the expert infantry badge like I basically I, I told my commander like listen if I can still do all these things, I will take another platoon. And he said, I wouldn't have it any other way. Go and get somebody to certify you on all that. Got certified, platoon leader for a while. And um, uh, after a while, I was like, I mean, heck, a year after I got blown up, I did a 25-mile ruck march with my guys because it was it was a 101st, uh, 101st Airborne Standard. And um, But after that, I was like, I, I need to go back and get um, I need to get this thumb taken off because it was, it was bad. Like, uh, the, um, the recovery was terrible. The nerve pain was terrible. Um, and, uh, like 
I was actually on a range and I was sitting, I was, I was assessing my guys. They were doing a, uh, um, a 50 cal shoot from our, um, or a 50 caliber machine gun shoot from our vehicles. Cause I was in a, I was in a mounted platoon and one of these fucking shells comes down through the, through the hatch and it just pings off my thumb. Oh. It was like, it <laughs> like the, 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 the sensation of my arm was like somebody had just hit a gong. And I was like, all right, we need to get rid of this fucking thing. Mm. Show. Uh, so that was, that was a big thing. And I came back and got an elective amputation, but like, fuck, even before that, like, um, like the whole reason that I could recover as quickly as I was, as I did was because, um, other adaptive athletes found me like that was, that was kind of the big thing. Like, uh, getting blown up. It was, it was dudes that did adaptive CrossFit that, that came and found me. Dude, that's awesome. So from not necessarily just army world, but just adaptive athletes that were CrossFitting Mm -hmm. from all different aspects and, and ways of life. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's super cool. Yeah. Two army guys were the guys that uh, came and came and uh, dragged me out because uh, 2014 was when I got blown up, and uh, in like October of 2014, I, uh, um, I'm, I, I was about to get an, another surgery because I was, I was so low on blood that they had to kind of space out, giving me hardware, and uh, I'm, I'm doing my rehab. I'm up and walking faster than people were expecting me to be, but I'm on, a, I'm on a cane. And, um, these, these two dudes roll into the, roll into the, um, the MATC, which is like the, the, the modern army training center, which is like, uh, it's, it's where, it's where all the amputees go to rehab. And, uh, I'm, I'm doing some physical therapy and, uh, there's this like short dude with one arm that comes in, like, uh, he's, he's cut off right about here. And this, uh, dude is about my size. Who's got a, um, a baloney amputation. And they come up and they're like, hey, uh, we're from freaking Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance. And there's this thing going on on the 1st of November called the Working Wounded Games. Do you want to come check it out? And I was like, oh, sure, that sounds cool. And then I noticed that the the, the one-handed guy, um, he's wearing a 101st T-shirt um, of a different brigade. And so he's – so and his, his, his brigade was called the Rakasan. So it's, it's got this Tory gate on it. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was a freaking strike. So I was a black heart. Yeah. That's them. Actually, that's, uh, that's Jason Sturm right there. The guy over on the okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's the below, below uh, knee amputee who came in, but, um, and that's, uh, Steph hammer, I think. Right. Oh, is that her? Is that her? Am I saying, is that Steph? What's her first name? I want to say it is, but yeah, that's her. Really? Yeah. That's cool. They, uh, and, and they were, uh, they were cool. Well, and, uh, so we go down to this big fucking warehouse gym in Vienna, Virginia, and um, uh, the this this guy with the hundred and first T-shirt, the guy with the short arm. Uh, well, before we even went there, he fucking whips out his phone, and uh, he's got uh, he's like he's like, okay, you want to see what you can do with one hand? And he's he's built this cuff, this leather cuff with a chain that comes off of it. Oh, I might have seen him. Yeah, and he's he's cleaning two hundred and twenty five pounds, like yeah. just just like. Like he's like he's like this is a recent max from a couple months ago. I was like, holy shit, dude! Now, uh, all right, cool. I want to check it out. And then I go, and that that dude um, wins uh, the working wounded games uh, that that year. And uh, I, <laughs> it was the day after um, after my last like hardware surgery in that wrist. So I was just I was real high, but um, <laughs> on there there's there's like. Fucking fifty, a hundred amputees, all just crushing these workouts. Like, and they're all doing it together. Like, it's guys that are wearing like the shorty prosthetics and dudes with one arm and and gals with CP, and they're all like 
they're all doing the events simultaneously. And we, we got there like even halfway through and, uh, we're just, we're just watching these, these freaking monsters crush really cool CrossFit workouts. And I was like, all right, I know what I want to do to recover and get back to infantry shape. Um, and like, and I, I see a bunch of guys that I, that I see now as like huge, ath- uh, huge freaking athletes and inspirations for me, uh, that were just there crushing it. Uh, and so immediately I started going to, uh, this CrossFit Rubicon and I met, I met this guy, chef, uh, who just, um, he's one of those like gurus. He's trained in everything. He's been a bodybuilder, done strongman, uh, great coach. He, this is like the crossroads was, it was essentially his brainchild, and he um, put the shit together, and he once a year he would do the Working Wounded Games, and I was like, okay, I'm going to compete next year. And they're like, all right, that's really ambitious. Like, yep, I know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and a day after your your last surgery, a day after you're my, like, I'm going to be here next year. Exactly. And compete. Yeah. And I was, uh, um, I I can't remember if I competed with uh, with my oh, so um, I went and did the platoon leader thing and I was training up the whole time. I was training at uh, CrossFit Clarksville down in Clarksville, Tennessee, because I was, you know, 100 versus at Fort Campbell. And um, uh, I, I get to that, I get to that point where like, all right, I'm going to go cut the rest of my, my hand off because it's just too, it's too sensate. Um, call up Walter Reed and to their vast credit, um, the hand surgeon was a guy that I had been in consistent contact with. So when I called him and I said, uh, um, doc, I need to, I want to cut off the rest of my arm. Uh, he goes, uh, okay, do your research. Tell me what level of amputation you think you need. And so I was like, okay, cool. Cause he, he knew me, he knew I was a nerd. And so I was like, all right, cool. I think at this level, because I want to still wear prosthetics and prosthetics are going to be useful from here on. Um, and he gets me in like literally the next month. Um, I get chopped, uh, and immediately I'm more functional because I don't have to worry about all the nerve pain and the, the salvage part of my limb. How much did you remove that you still had left about five centimeters above the wrist. So I had, okay. so like I said, I had the thumb and wrist bone, so I had none of the meat okay. um, in there. I had, I had none of the palm, none of the long bones. Mm-hmm. And so I took off just above the wrist because when you're, when you're using prosthetics, there are wrist units that you use to detach and reattach hands. And if you're, if you just cut off at the wrist bones, that would be a, um, a wrist disarticulation level amputation. You're more functional without the prosthetic. But, um, with the, uh, but, uh, with the prosthetic, they usually end up being a little bit too long if you're, okay. if you're prosthetic reliant. Yeah. And I knew that part of being in the infantry would be like, I'm going to basically need to get really good with either robotic prosthetics, which I found out later were a little bit less durable or, um, really good sturdy hooks, which is some of the stuff that I started building for myself. Okay. And, um, yeah. And, and that was the, uh, that was kind of like the progenitor. That's kind of that. a risky thing to be like, Hey, I'm going to take. I'm going to take more of my arm off because I think I'll be able to be more useful with these prosthetics and hooks mm-hmm. than if I were to only take enough to dis, uh, get rid of the nerve pain and, and that sensitiveness, that sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and I would be more functional with, without anything. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Well, the, and well, the cool thing okay. about it is, is like, it's, um, when it's an elective amputation, especially cause it's, it's traumatic, like. Um, when, when they told me to do the research on it, um, I, I knew that no matter where I'd get amputated, it was going to be, um, like they were going to do a good job because I've, I've, I've met, I know a lot of people that like, they started with limb salvage, like that guy, Jason Sturm, uh, and he got blown up by an artillery round. Um, he, they tried saving his leg for a long time, but it was just like way too painful. So he ended up chopping up high. 
uh, to to get that full leg uh, or to or to get the full prosthetic leg instead of like wearing a brace. And that really worked well for him. Uh, my commander back in ROTC, same thing. He had a he was cut off right at the ankle traumatically. But when you can pick the level of your amputation, uh, they can tuck the nerves back. They can really take their time mm. and sew the muscle into the bone. And uh, so when I said transradial, they went for it, and we knew it was up. Nice. Uh, so they say they they knew how to track everything, put it together, and we were good to go. Shit, man, that's awesome. That's cool. It's and so shit. you you see that you're like, hey, I'm gonna compete. Um, at what point were you like, you know, at, at, at a certain point you were like, Hey, I definitely want to be back in infantry. Mm-hmm. At what point were you, did you tell yourself, I mean, you saw this, you were like, Hey, I want to do this to train, to get back into shape and mm-hmm. to be able to be as functional as much of an asset to my team as I can be in my unit. Right. Yeah. Um, and then at what point, like those are all, you know, pretty big, you know, lofty things, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, challenges to overcome. At what point are you like? Hey, you know, I want to go even further and I want to go into selection to be, you know, special forces in one of the hardest, you know, um, training courses that, that there is, Yeah, and, you know, be one of the, the baddest motherfuckers out there. You were like, Hey, I, I'm not okay with just being infantry anymore. I want to go mm-hmm. another step. Well, I, um, the, when I was in Afghanistan, uh, one of the, one of the higher up commanders was this, uh, guy, he, he was, he was Lieutenant Colonel Connell. I think before he retired, he was a full bird colonel. Uh, but he was our support battalion commander, and he'd, he'd been a Green Beret for a long time. And he was this really cool, easygoing, very intelligent, intellectual guy. And he started telling telling us a couple stories about um, – it wasn't, it wasn't just stories. It was like, this is what a Green Beret does. And uh, and I was sitting there like, oh, so that's like – like that's what I want to be able to do with like the Afghan partners because like when you're – um, what's, what Army Special Forces does is you go into an austere environment, you partner up with uh, a local force, and uh, you train up that local force to essentially be self-sufficient. And like, so in Afghanistan, you could, um, you essentially can partner with somebody who is like training to keep the Taliban from, you know, putting a bomb in a market, you know, like, and, 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 and injuring civilians. So it's a, it was something that was, I was really passionate about that actually, uh, about, about doing so when I got back to the 101st, I was like, I'm going to train up to be in the infantry first. I want to go back to ranger school, and then I'm going to go and try for special forces. And um, uh, it basically got to the point because I, uh, after getting the amputation, I like they force you to go through a medical board. They're like, all right, we have to go through with the proceedings to prove that you are fit for duty. And uh, I was like, cool, you can prove that I'm fit for duty. At the exact same time, I'm going to submit my packet for special forces, and that's going to be my counter argument. And, uh, and it, it worked because I had this big packet of medical, of all the medical exams I needed for special forces that were like, uh, hey, this dude's like, he's doing pretty good fitness wise. Um, he should be good. Uh, at the, all the time, like there's all this, all, I, you're essentially getting assessed by the VA for your percentage. And they're like, oh, hey, your disability percentage is this. And it was real high because it's an amputation. And uh, basically all the medical lawyers were like, hey, listen, like this wouldn't be this hard, but like nobody fights this percentage. Like this is such a high percentage. Like that's a, that's a lot of money a month for the rest of your life. So no, nobody fights this shit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but like, I want to go be a green beret. Like this is like, like uh, they, they do a job that I'm truly passionate about. And I really enjoy, I, I really enjoy the concept of it. Um, and after getting through all this medical board, uh, getting okayed by the people down in San Antonio, I, uh, um, I, I, I get my slot for selection. Well, actually, so I submit my packet and the, and then, like maybe two days later, I get a call from, uh, from from a lieutenant colonel, 
and uh, and he 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 just immediately dives into my packet. He goes, he goes, hey, I'm looking at your packet. See, you got a right hand amputation, yada yada. Um, and then like uh, after, and, and he's, he's going over the logistics. He's like, you're going to need this waiver. You're going to need this waiver. You're going to need this waiver. Otherwise we can't accept it. We need to have like your liability. Like we need you, we need you good to go. And I went, cool. That's fine. I've already rigged up how I'd be jumping out of a plane with a parachute. Cause I'm everyone qualified. Like I know how I jump out. I know how I repel out of helicopters. Like I figured this stuff out. I've adapted because I know adaptive athletes. And then like five, six minutes in the conversation, he goes, okay, it sounds like you got this covered. Also, I'm also a hand amputee. I've been a Green Beret for the past 10 years. Uh, do you want to swap some techniques? Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'm going to one of these working wounded games in uh, freaking Raleigh, North Carolina, or Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, hell yeah. So I go I go down there to Fort Bragg, and it's this um, it's this lieutenant colonel who's just this freaking five foot nine, like beefcake of a dude who's – he's got the same high – or he's got a little bit of a higher amputation than me. But he's also a guy that, like makes his own prosthetics. Like he made a socket out of full Kevlar. Damn. Um, he's got this eyeball that's like the Green Beret crest, like uh, because he got blown up by an RPG. Damn. And um, he was just the coolest fucking guy on the planet. I like, just picture that that scene from uh, what was that Quentin Tarantino movie where mm-hmm. the chick has like the leg that's a machine gun, but it's yeah. like she uses it as a leg. So he, like he's got like one of those. He had a arm. hatchet. He had a hatchet oh arm, and like he showed me. He's like, here, check this shit out, because he wore he wore this like big gnarly claw yeah like kind of a like kind of a cable driven crab claw um, <laughs> and, and his, his, his name was colonel ken dwyer and he was like he was like okay listen like you don't have good chances of passing selection let alone the q course because you're an amputee like he's i mean like, you don't have good chances just by the numbers let yeah, exactly. alone being an amputee yeah the, yeah the, the numbers alone are, are are freaking crazy but i was like i yep that's him uh real cool dude he was a little less great when i met him <laughs> uh, but he is a, um, like he is freaking nuts. Uh, okay. So it is his left side. So that his, his left eye is the green beret crest, but he's, um, he's just this, like, he's an absolute beast. Like when I, when, when we were swapping things, uh, I, I had never used really, a an, an adaptive, uh, sports prosthetic. I used straps, like, um, stuff from spud ink that I would just kind of like Jerry rig and cut into the right shape. Uh, because every time I tried to use a prosthetic arm, uh, they couldn't, like, I could never get the fit right. Like they, they were painful. Um, they just sucked like, like bucket prosthetics that just were like, okay, this is going over your arm and that's it. They, they freaking sucked. And he like, he'd figured out what he needed to do. He had like all these locking pins and stuff. So he, but he used like hooks almost specifically. Um, and so I taught him how, what I did with straps. He taught me what he did with hooks and he even like, he mm. even gave me a couple of his hands. And so I started kind of putting this stuff together. And, uh, uh, like I said, he goes, you don't have great numbers, uh, like, like great, uh, good odds, but here's the things that you absolutely need to be able to do. He's like, you need to be able to climb a rope. Like if you can't climb a rope, like there's no fucking way you're getting through this. Like you need to do this, this, and this. And I got to the point, like I, I invented a hand Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I invented a hand that I could climb a rope with. I um I, I invented a hand that was a really good like multi-purpose tool, and I would test this stuff in CrossFit, um at CrossFit Clarksville all the time because I have this big warehouse gym, and it's like cool. I'm gonna go play with that fucking thing, mm-hmm. and all these green berets worked out there, and so like I I and and they were really good about like we're not gonna tell you shit about selection, but here's here's how you need to work out, mm-hmm. and so. I got really good at rucking. I got really good at running again, uh, you, you know, even though my size, I'm not the fastest guy in the world. 
Um, I think pay off for rucking though because of the length of your legs, right? They're your stride. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and dude, the, the and, and that's the thing. Like you go to selection, and like we were talking about the eighteen X ray program, you run into those X rays who spent the past three months just working up for selection. And when those guys can take off at a dead sprint with a sixty pound rucksack on, you're just like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Like, <laughs> what yeah. have you, what have you been doing? What do they have you on? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this guy, this guy pointed me in the right direction. I went, I went and I competed in the working wounded games or in, in a, a an offshoot of the working wounded games the next day. Um, and then I went back, trained up and I got to go to selection in January of 2017. Um, and I, I got to spend three weeks going through special forces selection, uh, doing the rucking, the running, the obstacle courses, and like there was, there was, there was points where it was like I have fucking failed. Like there is no way that I've gotten through this portion, and like then all of a sudden, like my my number wouldn't get called because you're you're you don't have like name or rank. You're just a number at that point. I was like, oh shit, okay, I'm going on to the next to the next phase, um, and uh, you keep going, and uh, you you get through you get through like all your all your gates like all your rucking and running you do like a week of land navigation which was the thing I was pretty sure I almost failed because I I I, I fucked up at one point and uh, I left uh, I left my knife in my chest pocket and so it was thrown off my compass and oh so shit all of a sudden I was like I've got one point but now I'm way way the fuck across the map from where I think I should be like this terrain doesn't make sense and then I I literally sat down to like drink some water and I looked down and I was like. Carrie, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> I just take, take the knife out, put it in my lower pocket, and was like, oh, crap. I'm uh, like three kilometers from where I should be in that direction. <laughs> and so I, I, had to, I had to sprint. So I got like the bare minimum points. And I, was okay. like, I was like, bare minimum as an officer? Like, I'm screwed. Like, I'm absolutely screwed. <laughs> and so, uh, but I made it. Um, got got all the way through to the end of selection. And uh, I was like just excited as hell. Like, like, I don't know, maybe like less than a third, third of the guys that go to selection get through. And, um, then like, uh, I got, I had a real quick turnaround of going back to Fort Campbell and then jumping to, uh, or, and then being assigned to Fort Bragg and getting to start the Q course essentially. Yeah. So you go all the way through selection, you start the Q course mm -hmm. and then that's the, uh, how long is that? That's, that's, um, it's supposed to be about a year to 18 months. Okay. Um, now, so right before I went to selection, I actually found these bio designs guys because like, like I said, my uh, my freaking CrossFit coach chef, like he's like, Hey, check out these splint things. And I looked these guys up and they made a lot of stuff for college athletes that were like, like college cross players and rowers and stuff. And I was like, Hey, that's, that's my kind of jam. So before I went to selection, I went and got an arm made by them and yeah, it's a, with their, with their hi-fi stuff and their, their cool exoskeleton. Oh design. damn. What is that there? So that is, so, so they took their, you have my attention. <laughs> they took their prosthetic design and their, they're turning it into um, uh, kind of an exoskeleton for just about anything, ah. and that's like their model for it. Um, they've Scroll had a, up a little, Mikey. They've had a lot of uh, work with um, uh, like divers and stuff, for, like keeping knives and stuff on on the outer, uh, right. on, on the outside. But basically, like if you see on the right, how it's got the four paddles. Uh, what that does is instead of it just holding onto your arm around the top of the arm and around the wrist, it 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 supports your bone structure. Um, by kind of squeezing on your muscles and it's got alternating zones of compression and release. So you still get blood flow through there, but it's holding on to your bones as opposed to just kind of like being on top of your arm. Gotcha. Because yeah. especially with like 
when you've got two bones in your in your radius and ulna, like it's it's super squishy. So like it it's it's super wobbly when you're lifting. And they have a picture here with a a knife. It looks like a, a yeah. gun attached to it. Uh, that's just like all kinds of gear. Yeah, that's their favorite one. I actually <laughs> I, I I like the I like the gun on the wrist thing personally. Yeah. You can kind of get the like that's the some Arnold Schwarzenegger shit right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, that's their that's their mofo. That's that's how they that's how they fit you down there. Like they're they're um that's how they kind of test okay. your compression. So these guys fit the you and so these guys fit the what what would you call it the prosthetics right? Or yeah, they, they fit they, they, they fit the so fitters. They, they fit the socket. The socket. So they okay. so these guys they are they are prosthetic manufacturers. I think uh, I think is the official term. And then you they, team up with these guys and then our. Our mutual friends at, at Brainco. Yep. For the robotic hand. Exactly. So yeah. that's so that's actually the, the first picture I saw of like because I and and I I love rowing but I've okay. always used a strap and I was like oh shit if there's a guy with like that short of an amputation who's like using that the the fucking monster ass oars that are on row, rowing boats mm-hmm. like okay I know that guy can pull mm-hmm. so I know that's going to be functional. And so, like, when I called them, I was like, hey, I need to be able to, like, I need to be able to hang from an obstacle in an obstacle course. Like, I need to be able to have my hook up on top of a wooden wall, and I need to be able to pull up and pull over. And they were like, we can do that shit. <laughs> and so uh, they, they, they fit. what you want to hear. Exactly. Well, they, they fit me, and I, then I, I, like, part of my beating a medical board is I made a video of me very badly doing an obstacle course because I was not fully recovered yet. My my arm was so atrophied but I because I'd just gotten the prosthetic, and so I hadn't like put on any mass yet. Um, but the second I got it, I was putting on mass and like I had, I've, I've had to go get another one basically every six months from there because my, my arms have just continually leveled out and gained muscle. So, uh, these guys got me like, these guys got me the prosthetic They got me through selection. And then I started the Q course. Um, I had to take a month break, like right after, um, the initial phase because, um, all the extra, uh, all the extra working out and exercise, like I had grown fully out of another prosthetic. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, had to go out to these guys and get another one made. And, um, oh yeah. The, the, so down, down almost at the bottom right is, uh, so that's, that's the, that's the task. And that's the, uh, oh, I forgot I had my, my American Yogi, uh, go back real quick. Cause all right, down there, bottom right, you see the, the gray t-shirt and the pink yoga block right, yes. there, right in the middle. So this is a, this is a prosthetic they helped me make out of a, a oh, I saw this out of a boarding hook that the Navy SEALs uh, use. That looks gnarly. I saw that and I was like, "That's gnarly." I I love that I, hook. I love the idea because like like physically a a double hook with that kind of splay like the forty five degree angle is 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 it's a super useful concept. But like the only the only one you could find is like, "Hey, this is what the Navy SEALs use to board pirate ships." Yeah, and they're that fucking big. Yeah, and I was like, "All right, cool. Let like let's make a tester." Yeah, and um, so they 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 roped the funding and they roped that project and. Uh, um, they, they actually kind of like, we got, we got that thing made. I'd need to, I need to actually strip the hook out of it and re remake it with the bigger socket now because it like, it, it works really well. Yeah. Like I've, I, I can hang from bars and everything from that. That was originally going to be hang from pirate version. ship with that. Hang from pirate ship. Yeah. yeah. So that's my, that's my, that's my fucking captain hook. My boarding right hook. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's a, like, I, and, and that's, that's the cool thing about these biodesigns guys is because like they, they were all they don't they'll always humor me and they'll humor my ideas and they'll push back when they need to and they'll say, Carrie, that's not gonna work. But if I go like, okay, but I've thought through this, this, and this, they'll say, Okay, we'll try it. Mm-hmm. And 
that's that's what you want out of somebody that does essentially something that's bespoke to you. You want like, hey, here's what I do and here's what I need to do, and they're like their arms have gotten progressively better over time, yeah, uh, because of that. Yeah. And you're putting it through like the paces of mm-hmm. of you know probably something that only a very very small percentage of people are going to need to put it through, but that in turn is going to make it better for the everyday user exactly. that wants to just be able to you know you know open a door or you mm-hmm. know open his car door you know make coffee hold his cup whatever oh yeah um they're going to be able to crush that and mm-hmm. put out a better a better thing a better product a better thing to help all those other people yeah because of like all this testing you're doing putting it through all that shit and that's what's so fun about it because like they're like most um upper limb amputees we don't wear prosthetics like Heck, there's a lot of stuff that I that I like. I said I switch out to my straps for my heavy deadlifts and the like, um, and but and so like you've got kind of a catch twenty two of because we don't wear prosthetics as often, like we don't advance the research as much as we need to, um, but also because it's not advanced enough, a lot of us just don't wear the arms. But like like the robotic stuff specifically, like it's it's been growing in such leaps and bounds. Like I used to never wear my super basic. Um, uh, sensor hand that was just like it was essentially like a three finger claw um, because even though it looked decent it wasn't the best functioning thing on the planet um, fast forward to a couple years later when these guys convinced me to put on the Tasca, and then when <clears throat> Brainco says we've got this new design and we're working on individual individual finger movement um, I okay I'll try it and then like that was the first time I'd ever worn that Tasca hand and they got the socket right, and the hand was so functional that I wore the damn thing for like twelve hours. And you are not supposed to do that on the first, if you haven't been wearing a prosthetic <laughs> in a while. And uh, so the next day, I went and I I tried to put it on, and um, I was I was I was so swollen I got stuck in the damn thing. Oh. <laughs> but um, but that was the, that was the thing. Like it was so comfortable, I didn't even freaking think about it like, right. all day. And that's like they they've just they've just nailed that concept so much that like. Uh, um, like you, you, you feel like you got a hand. Like it's, it's this. Um, you've you've got this this uh, integration of of yourself and the and the arm. Yeah, and that's what's so cool about it. Yeah, that's awesome. So you go through, you you work with these guys. You work with other companies, and and you figure out a way that you can start going through the Q course mm-hmm. and going through that training and that uh, that te- the tests. Basically, it's all yeah. tests, right? At that it's, point, yeah, it's it's tests and training. Like yeah. after you, after you pass the selection, it's mostly it's mostly training, and okay. it's all it's all specialty stuff. Like yeah. um, uh, you go through you go through all your all your basic like for for me on the officer side, you go through your basic officer stuff, and that's just to make sure that like all the officers in the army are working on the same playbook, and then you've got. Uh, Oh shoot! I uh, hadn't lost it. Well, and then we went. Then we went through small unit tactics, which is everybody right. comes together, officers and enlisted guys, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's so everybody's kind of offering uh, operating off the same playbook for basic tactics. You know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of like a ranger school light kind of thing, um, uh, like very very similar concept. Um, then we went. Then we'd go through uh, seer school, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, um, which I still is my favorite training I've ever done in any army school ever. Um, half because there's all these crusty old dudes uh, who run it, who are all former Green Berets, who are all like the funniest survival experts you've ever met in your life. Like they're all dudes that probably have their own bunkers, uh, mm-hmm. and and they they they're really passionate about teaching. They're cool as hell, and you get to learn all the you know the the fun like the the escape stuff, like the like you you, you watch the Great Escape, you get to see all those like little subtle techniques. Um, go through that, um, and then it's. Then it's your specific training, so everybody breaks off again. 
So on, in a, on a special forces team, you've got a bunch of different disciplines. Um, the officers are 18 alphas, um, and they specialize in, um, uh, in unconventional warfare, which is the, what I told you before, which is going into a country and then, you know, partnering up with the force. So they have to know all the aspects of that and like the global, um, uh, like all the ramifications of it and every, everything, everything you do has consequences. Uh, then you've got 18 Bravos who are the, so the rest are, rest are enlisted guys. You've got 18 Bravos who are, um, weapons specialists, 18 Charlies who are demolition and construction ep- experts, uh, Deltas who are medics, um, who are basically trauma doctors by the time they get out of the course. Uh, they have the longest training cycle. Um, you've got 18 Echoes who are radio and communication specialists. And then like, those are all the basic ones. And then eventually, um, you've got 18 Foxes who are, um, uh, your intelligence sergeants and, uh, 18, 18 Zulus are your team sergeants. Um, and then you've got, uh, um, I am totally blanking. I, I think, I think it might be, a uh, 180 whiskey, um, is, is a, is a, a warrant officer, which is kind of a halfway, halfway between like they're, they're officers who are specialists in special forces. And they're, they're usually kind of the coolest, most laid back guys you're going to meet. Uh, so everybody who's going to do that training breaks off and then you all come back together for a final, uh, a final test where they stick you on a mock team and then you go out and you do, uh, essentially like the classic Green Beret mission. And that, what do they call that again? They call uh, that's that? called the Robin Sage, Robin Operation Sage. Robert, that's Robin right. Sage. That's right. And it's a month long total. And, um, there's actually a lot of really good, oh, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really good, um, uh, Lost it. Hadn't lost it. Oh, so 180 Alpha. That's it. So the 180 Alpha is the is the uh, warrant officer, but mm. it might not be up there. Uh, they uh, there's a lot of good articles on how they turn the whole state of North Carolina into um, a mock uh, a mock foreign country, and um, it's this it's a it's a really interesting exercise. It's been going on for a, for a long time where they actually like they'll go and they'll partner up with city councils and people that have been volunteering and doing this for decades. <laughs> um, as role players, as specific roles in specific yeah. scenarios, and <clears throat> you go and you do an infiltration, like you'll walk 25 miles through the Uari National Forest or like up from Georgia or something like that, and then you'll end up in the middle of the state and you'll be you'll be living in a uh, in an alternate reality yeah. where uh, where you have to liberate the country of Pineland uh, from from foreign communist aggressors and it's um uh it, it's it's like heck uh, even the local papers publish stuff about it where they're <laughs> like they're like hey they're gonna be doing you know this yeah. ec- the like the, their final part of the exercise here and there's like it's um it's always really cool because they've got the um you know because everybody's got the know-how to it like the the final exercise when you're going after the uh osama bin laden of uh of pineland like you know you get some people out there with cameras being like hey check it out they're doing the raid <laughs> so it's um it's a super cool ex- exercise it's, it's really in depth and um but that was also the point when like all my stuff caught up with me um i had a i had a uh like first time through um de- i failed just on my just on my own merits more or less um you know just didn't come together as a team and like we worked really hard, and by the end of it, we were getting it, but we didn't get where we needed to get. So, ever, so me, the other officer, and a couple other people, we recycled the course um, or the uh, the the final exercise. Uh, second time through, um, had a conflict with one of the instructors, uh, and on top of that, like I was kind of getting to the point where like 
I realized that all this exposure and being out in austere environments, uh, going without food, sleep, um, extreme temperature changes, uh, it was like it, it cranked up something that I'd been able to ignore for like five years, which is uh, my my nerve pain and neuropathy and all the things that happened in my arm and leg. And I eventually got to the point like I was fighting it, I was fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, and then I was then I when I had to go to a doctor and pull the trigger and be like, hey, I like. Uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of issues here, a lot of medical related issues that like, and as much as I want to stay in the army, like I'm kind of at the point where I'm not a combat asset anymore. And, you know, it took a long time to get to that realization and I got real far and I got real high up through up in the Q course. I'm still the only amputee to ever pass selection and join the Q course outright. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that was, that was just kind of like there's a bit of an ego trip here and as there, and as much as you think, like I don't have an ego, like I'm, I'm trying to stay humble. I want to learn as much as I can. It's different with an ego thinking that there's no way, like, like I can do this because I have the willpower to. And then there's the ego of I reached my actual physical limit in something, and I don't think I'd be able to do this for a full deployment. Right. So that that was that was kind of the pulling the trigger on my end. Yeah, and that takes a lot of self realization to be like, hey, I'm not. You know, even though this is what to get out of your ego, like you said, even though this is what I want, I'm not going to be an asset. So, exactly. And I'm definitely damn sure not going to be a liability mm-hmm. to my teammates. Doesn't, um, doesn't mean I still don't like doing CrossFit and running Spartan right. races, but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe six months of Spartan races would kill me. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I mean, it's huge what you what you were able to accomplish just passing selection and then going through all the way through the Q course to that point. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about earlier, it's like that's a hard enough task. For somebody with two hands, let oh, yeah. alone with one, and you know the nerve damage and all of that 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 yeah you did, so you know I think it it was you know you did a fucking hell of a job. Appreciate and it's that. It's a, a commendable and uh, admirable um, path that you took. Thanks. Um, after going through that, what did um, what did like when you when you come to that realization, you come to that point, you're like, mm. all right, shit, I'm not gonna be able to fulfill this goal that I had or this mission, this drive I had of being, you know, special forces, what, 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 at that point, where did you start your, your paperwork to be, be medically discharged or did you go, you went to another, um, assignment or post, right? I, well, so I stayed at Fort Bragg, but I was trying to do another, I was trying to do another, another special operations assignment for a while for like a real, for a real brief period of time. I was like, okay, I can't do special forces. Maybe I could do civil affairs, which are people that go in and they do a lot of diplomatic stuff. But then they're 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 like I, I've met a lot of civil affairs guy. Actually, uh, the uh, American Yogi T-shirt that I'm wearing, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who started that's what that is that's yeah, a cool T-shirt. I, I love this one. <laughs> Manifest your stoke. It's a Vietnam dude with a with a fucking surfboard, surfboard. <laughs> big longboard. Yeah. yeah. The the guy that started this, uh, he was a photojournalist, uh, and then he joined the army. Uh, he was a sorry a war correspondent, a photojournalist, and then he joined the army, and then he went to. Uh, he went to civil affairs, um, and he's he's such a like a like a full on decent dude, and um, uh, so I was like, okay, I I know this guy like, I, like his job seems really cool, and he's he's a really cool dude. But like there was there was also like that was part of the point where like, hey, am I going to be an asset or a hindrance here? So at that point, like after that was when I started talking to doctors, and it was it was like at that point it was like, all right, I need to tell you about this, and we need like at first I want to try and do something about it. And uh, unfortunately, like, nerve pain is a very is a tricky thing. So like, okay, we've got nerve pain. Uh, we've got anti-epileptics. We've got antidepressants, and these are all things that can like 
uh, change your brain chemistry to like address the nerve pain potentially. Um, but I, I would get all the, the bad psychiatric side effects. So I just had to stop taking them. Um, well, like cycle off obviously, like, cause there's, there's a safe way of doing it. There's, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of had to go through that. There was the realization of not being a combat asset anymore because like this was all something that was really like jacking me up. Uh, and at that point it was, you know, talk to the doctor and get to the point where like I had to go talk to a pain clinic and be like, here's what's going on. And I think that because I'm an amputee and because I'd automatically get this rating anyway, like I think I just need to initiate a med board. And they said, that's totally fine. Uh, sign the paperwork. And then they started getting everything rolling from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's gotta be a lot of, of emotions tied in with that to go through all of that and oh, yeah. then to be like, okay, you know, it's the same thing that, uh, on just another level of what, you know, professional athletes or anybody that has, you know, a, a, a career or a passion that they enjoy doing that they're driven for. And then they no longer for whatever reason are able to continue to pursue that you have that loss of like, okay, well, who am I outside of that? That was oh, such a big oh, part yeah. of my life. Well, full, you know? full identity. Right. You know, like, uh, like I was, um, uh, I was particularly tied up in like, this is a, this is a calling for me. And there's so much of this that I'm good at, uh, in this particular field. Like when that wasn't a thing anymore, uh, that was, that was a real blow. Mm-hmm. So that was like, all right, cool. What the hell can I do from here? Yeah. What now? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see that, that you've, you know, kind of found that now again, that you've, mm-hmm. you've, uh, so now you were telling me a little bit earlier that, you know, you do some, you know, training and, uh, coaching mm-hmm. of athletes and performance, performance wise, also like yoga Yep. And uh, your wife trains dogs, which yep. is super cool. And you guys are, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, she, uh, so I, I train CrossFit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've got my level one and a couple other certs. So I, I coach people in CrossFit. Um, I got my 200 hour yoga, uh, certified yoga trainer through uh, um, Yoga Alliance. Um, so I, I teach hot yoga twice a week. Um, uh, I think a little bit more because they're moving into a bigger space now. Uh, and, um, and, and my wife uh, is transitioning specifically into training uh, psychi- psychiatric and PTSD service dogs um, because we've got we've got four dogs. She's trained one as kind of her, her starter with that. So she wants to uh, do that a little bit more specifically. Was and, that the shepherd you were telling me about that yeah, she trained? The, yeah, the, the shepherd. Yeah, yeah. our 105-pound our uh, one with the soul of a Belgian Malinois. Yeah, like the he, soul of a wolf. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's a little crazy. He, um, he was out here for the last two weeks, actually. Um, that, that I was out here getting fitted and, um, that dude, that dude fell in love with hiking, I think, because like we'd just be hiking the backbone trail up in the Santa Monica mountains and he'd just be like, he's a good hiker too. Like he, he real naturally would never go around a curve and like, he'd be like, Hey, you guys good. Like he's, uh, Mm -hmm. he's a good dog. Damn. That's awesome. That's so cool to to have like a a dog like that. That's, that's trained that way. Mm -hmm. I was telling you earlier, I want to get a, uh, bite trained Malinois. Totally. It's a, it's a, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, there's a lot of people like it's a, there, there's a lot of nuances to it that I'd probably butcher if I actually tried to tell it to you. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like a whole, it's a science. They've got it down. Oh yeah. And, um, so right now you're doing that, um, going, still going through the process of, mm-hmm. of, uh, getting medically discharged from the army. Yep. Right about at the end of right. it. Right. Okay. And then, uh, you're going to be able to kind of hit the ground running full steam on, on that other side aspect of things, yep. which is pretty cool. Have you linked up with any people yet or any guys, girls that um, 
are in a similar situation from you, like amputee or uh, injuries from, you know, combat mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, that you can then help and, you know, further that on? Yeah, there's, um, so I, I, I help out with this charity called the Stay Safe Foundation up in New Jersey. Um, a, guy, a guy by the name of Eric Bassick, he's uh He's like the nicest uh, CrossFit guy who's also could also could kill you with Krav Maga ever. Um, he because he, his his gym is like Krav Maga CrossFit the whole shebang, and uh, he's a he's a former uh, DC SWAT guy, um, and he like all he wants to do is 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 help people and specifically help people with like PTSD and combat issues, and so like. Like we've got this like network of people that are like they all help with the Stay Safe Foundation in some way, shape, or form. Like right now, we've all uh, he he interviewed us all, and we've all got a chapter in this book coming out about um, not just like how to get over PTSD or like how you get PTSD. It's like people that have um, like are are experiencing levels of it right now because like I like my my one handed buddy who showed me the two twenty five clean at, at uh, Walter Reed. Uh, he got blown up by a suicide bomber like four feet behind him. Fuck. And so he's like, uh, he's, he's almost deaf. He's got one eye that works like, um, but he's also the strongest motherfucker I know. And, uh, so he, he's got a chapter about like what he's got to deal with, you know, like my, like, like, like my problems with like identity and everything came down to, uh, like I'm in the, I'm in the Q course. I cannot run this for a long time because I'm like successful, successful, successful. And then you hit that wall and then everything like comes up behind you, like like a like a full train running into that wall with you, and you're like, oh shit! Like, I didn't know that I I didn't know that panic attacks were a thing. You know, like right, like like, like you, you hear about them, but like it takes you it takes you so long to actually like, oh, I'm having fucking panic attacks. Like that's what this is. Yeah, and like for the mo- for the longest time, like that was seen as like a thing of weakness mm-hmm. of like, oh, not only bitches get panic attacks, like, and yeah. you're like. Not girls, but just yeah. like people that aren't mentally strong. Oh yeah, and then you realize like the science behind it. You realize mm-hmm. like what's actually going on and how common it is, yeah. and how it's okay. It's just like address. You have to address it, and you have to realize and understand what's happening, mm-hmm. so that way you can um, deal with those. And and a lot of people turn to you know kind of the I would say the, not the easy road, but the the quickest, most I guess harsh. Um, harshest way, which is like, you know, diagnosing and then dealing with um, medications, like very, very powerful, damaging medications to your mental health and your Mm -hmm. psyche and that you can get hooked on. And, um, and that's a whole nother gnarly, so gnarly road that you can go down. Like some people need certain levels of that. Some people don't like, and, but like uh, addressing it and being cognizant of it is, of it is so important. Like, uh, the guy who uh, Eric Bassick was telling you about, he know uh, he's he's friends with uh, Frank Shamrock, the old MMA, yeah. MMA fighter, who's the nicest fucking guy, by the way. I yeah. met him at the Arnold this last year. Um, but uh, he uh, he started talking about his trauma because he was abused as a kid, and he found that he was able to heal it more the more he talked about it in public. Right. And so uh, Eric uh, Eric's uh, Eric's whole idea behind interviewing us for this book, he's like this is going to be easier if we talk about it. So like talk about the things that are bothering you. Like because you're having a panic attack doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means that you have something that you're not fucking saying. And the way to get over it is to figure out how to say it. Like what's like, what's the issue here? Yeah. And that, and so like, you know, uh, interviewing all of us and having us being able to talk about that and uh, being able to, to talk about stuff like that. Like, my worst part came when I was like, all right, cool. I can't, I can't do civil affairs. Like I'm way too late to go back to the infantry. Like, and also like I'm in constant fucking pain. 
So like I had an office on Fort Bragg where I could actually close the door and I was the only one with the code to it. Uh, so like I always have this thing where like I'd start working and then I'd be able to work for like five, 10 minutes. And then I'd like feel myself start to freak out. I'd go and I'd close the door and I would, I'd bring my yoga mat and I'd do a little corpse pose. I'd maybe do a sun salutation. I had to ground, like I had to like, mm-hmm. I had to not freak out. And then it like, it was, it was like alternating that. It was like five, 10 minutes, like one or the other, one or the other. And like, I was just sitting there like, I can ground, I can ground, I can ground. But like, I was, I was grounding to stay in the moment, but I wasn't addressing the thing that was causing me to do that until I actually started telling people about that. I, my, my buddy, uh, Phil in American Yogi, um, uh, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna be able to address it and get over it. And that's, that's one of the, like, cause, um, a lot of these psychological issues, you just have to address that trauma and like, kind of, kind of tug on that, on that knot a little bit and start to unravel it. Right. Yeah. And it's like not the, it's, it's not the sexiest part of, of, of the whole thing. Like it's the dirty, the nitty gritty. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to cry. You're going to experience huge emotional wells, like swells. Totally. And, but that's part of the healing process. And that's Mm -hmm. part of like how you, how you, how you get through that. Um, before I forget on, uh, we were talking about the, um, the nonprofit or the the foundation that you work that you yep. work with or your buddy has, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've heard of Kevin's. It's called Reveille Project. No, I haven't. Uh, and he does. Um, he works with his buddy who's ex. He's I think he's ex Marine Ryan, mm-hmm. and he they started this after Kevin's injury, and it was to help wounded uh, or not not just wounded, but to help veterans, all veterans that are coming back, um, integrating back into society and civilian life, and nice. help them deal with their PTSD, their trauma, anything they might have from like, oh, hey, I have PTSD from, you know, getting yelled at at a, you know, at a basic or I have PTSD yeah. from, you know, I was admin and I uh, a mortar hit, you know, right outside our our building and, you know, scared the shit out of me. And, you know, there's all levels of varying PTSD to like, hey, I've been blown up or, hey, I had to, you know, totally. ki- or I killed somebody or somebody, you know, almost killed me or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's such big varying levels that um, he... Uh, uses this this uh, his nonprofit to um, to provide them kind of treatment through CrossFit. So they provide yeah. um, support so that these veterans can go get and treat that through you know CrossFit and fitness. Um, nice. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that's I don't know if you've checked that out, but um, or if you you know have any uh, anything in mind that you guys could like, team up or do together. I think you guys I would be a, a sweet uh, a sweet partnership or a sweet. Uh, you guys could team up. Well, that's, sure. some, that's some cool stuff. Well, because like PTSD isn't uh, isn't just relegated to people that um, you know people that have been in combat, like, right? It's, uh, you know, uh, the, there's there's a lot of PTSD that you can have, and and like there, there's varying levels of it. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's Phil, and there's and there's uh, there's my fat ass on the beach. That's uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, with my arm on. He, uh, um, I, I went and did a photo shoot with a shoot with a friend's uh, a friend's photographer buddy, and. Um, he was like, just do some yoga stuff. And he was, so here was the cool thing. I'd gotten that, that arm the day before. Like that was the one I came out here for. And like, normally I'm like, oh, I can't do yoga. I can't do these yoga moves. Like I have to really think about it. I have to be conscious of it. But he was like, all right, we got like 20 minutes. You want to just run through a flow. Mm-hmm. And so I ran through this active sun salutation and I didn't have to fucking think about it at all. Like I, I was just like, I was dropping into stuff that normally I have to like move a yoga block around under my nub and everything. And like I felt so integrated with that, um, uh, with the way the arm was, 
that uh yeah like right there like yeah. my, my my shoulders are level in a cobra pose i haven't mm-hmm. done that in a long time uh so like i i was i was super impressed by the way that my fucking arm turned out there that's it was awesome great stuff that's cool that you can just you were in, able to get into that flow mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the bigger things is like if you have all of these things that keep taking you out like oh i got to move this block and all i got it kind of pulls you out of that zone oh yeah so for you to be able to finally hit that on a beach i'm sure was like a you were probably still like a, a cool moment and it was, like yeah. your 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 journey your healing and like all of that yeah and that's that's the one of the things i i legitimately love about yoga for that reason like it's uh um because i i got to uh now that i get to like teach people um i get to throw in like all these varying uh um disciplines that i've got uh, because I, I do a lot of weightlifting. I do a lot of, I, like I, I, my, my friends that just moved down here from Boulder, Colorado, like they trained in circus and contortionist shit. So I throw some of that into my yoga, like all this, all this <laughs> funky stuff. Oh yeah. My boom bell. I, I love that thing. Um, but like it's, it's all this, it's all this funky stuff where I just get to adapt and, and work with this weird, uh, the, like this, this weird, uh, shit that I've been given. Yeah. Um, with this particular lot in life and I get to just, uh, keep rolling with it. Like, I mean, heck I've, I've, I've taught yoga on the beach like four or five times since I've been out here to a couple of different friends because that's what they, that's awesome. That's what they, uh, that's what they needed. I think too, one of the coolest parts about what you guys do and what you're able to do with, with that is you're able, people are able to see, um, and with the internet now, how it connects everybody, they're able to see what you do, the, some of the, the hacks, you know, as you were to, to be able to 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 do some of your favorite, you know, weightlifting, CrossFit, yoga, Limax, um, yeah, Limax, yeah, yeah, that's that's your new uh, your new hashtag, <laughs> but uh, that they're able to see that, and you're able to inspire people that would never have known about that otherwise. That are mm-hmm. like, you know, might be down on their luck, or you know, hey, I, I'm I'm bummed out because I have, you know, I can't do some of these other stuff, and they see you doing it, and they're like, oh, there is a way, you know. Well, even some of the people that like are not visibly injured like if you look at phil uh phil sussman he he's a like a really fit guy he's got kind of that runner's build like he he definitely does a lot of yoga he fucking broke his back while he was in the 82nd airborne uh before going to civil affairs selection and then went through civil affairs selection with like cracked vertebrae and so his back is like real fused and and it's real it's real tough for him to get into a lot of yoga poses um, but like when we were in the same training together, getting our 200 hour. And when I got to actually like, I was like, Hey, uh, we're going to go into pigeon pose. And I was like, you might want to do this in pigeon pose because massaging it this way really helps you break up scar tissue. And that like clicked with him and like the move clicked with him. And that was kind of the cool thing about coaching yoga from a, from a dude who's injured kind of perspective. It's like, it's like, Hey here's how this works. Like, yeah, I didn't know a fucking thing about fascia or like how fascia works because like I was like, I did Kung Fu in high school and swimming. So like I could be flexible and I could like, Hey, check it out. I can do the splits. But then after I got blown up and I was trying to do it, I was like, why the fuck can I get into this move anymore? Yeah. I was like, Oh, this scar tissue has my fascia so bound up that I need to, I need to stretch different. Right. And like, then bringing that to other people's like, Hey, you might be hurt and you might not know it. Or, like you might be super bound up and you think it's because you are, you're failing as a human being, but mm-hmm. this is the real reason. And a lot of people I've found too, they're just like, oh, this is just how I am. You know, oh, I'm mm-hmm. just like, this is how my, this is how it is. Yep. And you're like, well, no, it doesn't have to be. Not you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man, Hey, it's been awesome chatting with you coming in yeah. and, uh, you know, sharing your story 
and hearing, uh, you know, hearing from you, I'm sure a lot of people are going to love, uh, that inspiration. And, uh, I'd love to connect you with some of these, like, I don't know, you know, Kevin, right? I've uh, met him at uh, okay. I've met him at um, the Arnold like twice. Yeah, so I'd love to. I mean, connect you if you have any interest in like seeing what they're doing with Reveille and Absolutely. how you guys and what you're doing can you know team up and be a part of that and and uh, vice versa. And then um, you know we know the guys at Brainco. That's who hooked us up on. So it's it's mm. super cool to see them do their stuff with their robotics with totally. people that can actually because I've I've only seen the robotic mm. in theory, right? Yeah. I've never seen it being applicated or used. The way oh, yeah. you're the way you're using it, so it's and it's been some fun stuff. It's like, really cool because like, like it, I I love being in the design phase of stuff. It's oh like, yeah, cause, especially because like I don't think like like Lawrence and and the engineer Ching, I don't think that at any point they're gonna like shut me down on helping them out with this shit, yeah. which is what I like doing just in general. Yeah, and like as as like you know you can look at it as you know oh this is you know kind of. For, uh, you know good for you because you're able to test and do all these things and have the first run of stuff that you're trying to trying to revolutionize but then also you know you think about it like that's also going to help people down the line down the chain oh, yeah. that are you know struggling with a ton of the same stuff and then they're going to be able to benefit from the fact that you were pushing to you know challenge these guys to like hey we need to make it better this way we need to do this for it totally i'm looking forward to the time when like it's more beneficial to have a robot hand than awesome uh, robot hands. Yeah, yeah 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 then like ter- full Terminator style. I'm, I'm pushing. I'm pushing for a robotic like weightlifting prosthetics. Like, yeah. I want to. I want to be able to do a two handed snatch again. Like That'd let's 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 get to the point where we can do it. And then like you're you're like so strong that you're just crushing kettlebells. Like, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you, man, for uh, for coming in. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. We'll grab a, fun a few conversation. picks before you leave. And uh, yeah, totally awesome. Thank All you, right, man. Thanks, All right, guys, there you have it. Another episode in the books, episode 69. It's been a journey. We've been having some awesome guests. I don't think there's been one one guest that I'm like, oh, man, that really wasn't a good episode. These are all bangers, as they say. Um, Thank you guys for coming along with this, coming along on the journey with us. Thank you guys for listening. Our guests have been awesome, and that was definitely one of them. Carrie was a super cool guy. and I uh, really enjoyed talking to him and hearing his story and uh, really appreciative that he was able to or that he opened up with us and shared as much as he did and was as cool as he was in, in talking about everything. Uh, if you guys are listening, uh, we used to ask you guys to do this, but we haven't been. But if you're listening, if you're still listening, please go uh, drop us a, uh, a comment or a review, sorry, a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. We just got a notification from... Uh, one of our emails that uh, we're we're freaking crushing it in Europe. Uh, we are the let me pull this up. We are like the number what is it the forty first uh, highest ranked fitness podcast in uh, health and fitness podcast in um, Norway. Is that right, Mikey? No, Sweden. So, uh, no, Denmark. Sorry, forty one in Denmark, fifty in Sweden. 65 in Austria, 72 in Norway, and 141 in New Zealand. Shout out to all the Kiwis in New Zealand, all you Kiwis. Um, so we've been growing. We've been noticing that uh, you know more and more people have been listening. We've been appreciative of everybody that's been tuning in, and uh, hope that we can just continue to put out a cool product, a cool 
uh, show for you guys to listen to, be able to mostly share these stories and these awesome individuals that we uh, we come in contact with and that we uh, get connected with through the health and fitness world and uh, you know that that community that we're involved in. So thank you guys for uh, for everything that you've done. If you guys could drop us a review on Apple IT, or on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. And we want to kind of bump those ratings up. And if you haven't already followed the YouTube channel, uh, give that a subscribe. Uh, that way you can get access to all the, uh, the the YouTube videos of these episodes as they come out. All of that just helps us continue to push this and, and do what we're doing and continue to just be better at what we do, continue to push and grow this thing. And uh, lastly, thank you to all the sponsors for, uh, you know, putting in for uh supporting us and allowing us to do what we do shout out to all you guys we're awesome uh take care guys without further uh, not without further ado we're not fucking introducing an episode uh it's been a long day so uh thank you guys at the end of the day whatever thank you uh, i'm fucking rambling now uh we we did the sponsors love you guys love you people listening um i guess that's it We'll see you guys next week. Peace.